psychology and mental health with a plan to overhaul the industry's approach to self-care. In her spare time, Tayana streams on Twitch under the tag Phoenix Plays. Check out her Friday stream to watch her alpha test an indie game she's helping develop called Greenhawk Platoon. At the end of this episode, we'll hear the soothing sound of Shivani Nall's Bumblebee. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Conversations. We are sitting here with Tiana. She has been an ALM in the film industry, and she also has recently delved into the world of streaming, trying to build (laughs) a profile under the name Phoenix Plays. You're uh, absolutely right. You nailed that. You actually awesome. nailed my name too, because yes, so I many was people so get nervous it wrong. about that. <laughs> Were you actually? <laughs> I have been thinking about it since you got here. I was like, which way do I pronounce it, and will I fuck it up? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah, it's uh, my parents uh, will swap sometimes. Tiana is what they call me when they're mad. Other uh-huh. times they call me Tiana because nobody could remember Tiana when I was a kid. So I just nicknamed myself T. T and Tiana okay, were yeah, easier yeah. to remember. I remember on set a lot of people called you T all the time. Yeah. Now I'm Tay Tay. Yeah. Tay Tay go to two. Tay Tay go to five. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I, I remember hearing that, especially at the, the Steveston Beach. Oh my God. <laughs> I hated that place so much. Don't remind oh, me. <laughs> the time that we were filming there, too, my car had been working fine until the week that we were supposed to go there. And then I started, like, it was making this absolutely obnoxious noise in the driver's side oh, wheel well. Oh, man. And, like, that was like a 45-plus kilometer trip back and forth for me every day. So I was like, please don't be the day my car breaks down on the highway. Please don't be me. <laughs> that site was such a nightmare. <laughs> that was, I think, the only day I've ever genuinely lost my cool because I'm very... I always hold myself to very high standards with my professionalism. I don't want to lose my cool. I don't want it. Like, I want to always maintain a certain level of, like calm level-headedness everyone on set absolutely everyone you interact with yeah and if you're in locations you're a point person for literally everybody you're a point person for the public you're a point person for like your liaison for all the film people asking you questions like you have to deal with a lot of things Mm -hmm. all the time your job can definitely be challenging huge yeah so i'm always trying to like be really cool but that day it was a heat wave I was oh, yeah. I was having to deal with so much stuff related to the heat wave. It was and just there constantly, is no shade there. No, and and the ACs were not working because it was hot. They were like, "Yeah, let's enclose people in a tent and run an AC." And I was like, "That's not gonna work." They're like, "We need white tents." I'm like, "I got two. I like I'll try to get more." But this is like yeah. it was an all day thing, and like our special effects team and I had a little bit of a tiff because one of the guys was a little disrespectful to me and uh, basically said he wouldn't listen to me because I'm a woman. Uh, He was like, get the liaison, get him over here to tell me what oh, I can and can't do. It was this whole That's, thing. You never want to leave it in the liaison's hands because, no. one, the liaison is a wild card, and two, <laughs> most of them don't actually like film crews. Like, yeah, well, our liaison's such a sweetheart. He's he's an amazing guy, but he was so mad that that guy said that to me. He came over, pulled him off set, be. and was like, I tell her what she needs to do, and if she tells you something, that's coming from me. Like, do not second-guess hey, her. way to go. You should be going and apologizing to her because everything here is working real great, and you're just creating these problems and I was like 
I was I was just so done with him. I, was I wish so more done. liaisons were like that yeah. because there's definitely a lot of situations where like the crew is walking all over. Either it's like someone from the site, some member of the public, or another crew member, and like the liaison is ultimately the one that has the power to shut that down. Yeah, and a lot of them won't. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's always better for everybody if they <laughs> don't. I know for a lot of them, just from talking with them as much as I've had to. Um, they like they really don't want to have to shut it down, and it's and it's really like yeah. you have to push them to their limits to get to that point. But I've also met a couple trigger happy liaisons who've been like, "Hey, if this doesn't get sorted like now, we're we're shutting it down." And I'm like, "What?" But this is like very <laughs> low. Like what what we're talking about the problem being yeah. is not a huge deal realistically. Like nothing's even on mind, fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm like this is in the realm of normal film. Unfortunately, film mishaps. Tuesday. These things happen. You know, like yeah. I'll. I'll fix it. It's just, it's going to happen. You don't need to shut us down. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, like, originally I, when I said shut down, I meant, like, shut down some of the behavior. But, that, oh, like, that is, yeah. a, like, they do have the power to shut down production. And that is an interesting thing to for us to touch on, maybe, because, like, a lot of people, if you don't work in the film industry, you have no idea what a liaison is for mm-hmm. film to begin with kind of thing, right? Uh, but these people who are not involved in the production specifically have more power over the production than probably literally any one single person in the production crew. Yeah. Like even a lot of the producers individually on their own don't have the power to do the kind of thing that a liaison does on their site. Yeah. It's crazy. That's why you want to stay on their good side. Yes. <laughs> That's absolutely. my first thing I do every single set I go <laughs> Buy to. My copy. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, hey, what can I do? What do you want me to do? Basically, like every right. single time we have a set, I'm like, all right, so every liaison's different. I want to know how you like things run. I, I I will just do what you need me to do. Like, I will adapt and adopt whatever you need. I don't care. I just want to make sure you're happy so that everything is smooth. Because as long right. as they're happy, they tend to be more lenient, I've learned. Like, if, if they've got a couple things, most liaisons have a couple things they're really, like, really particular about, and you just do those couple things, and you're good. You're golden, and then they, most of the time, in my experience, they leave set because they're like, oh, I can see you're on this. And mm-hmm. then I can kind of be like, all right, this is safe. This is not safe. This is safe. Pro tips for any film crew yeah. listening. Yeah, <laughs> 100% pro tip. Make sure the liaison likes you, you know? Yeah. You got to make sure they like you. <laughs> so you've been in the film industry for a very long time, and clearly you've been connected to it for even longer mm-hmm. since your father's been a part of it. How has that impacted your life growing up? Because it's a very creative industry, but a very unstructured one. I'm curious, yeah. how do you think it augmented your development? So, fun fact, my mom's also in the film industry. Oh, so you've been um, in the thick of it forever. <laughs> but my mom, she's an independent filmmaker, actually. Oh, cool. uh, she does documentaries. Um, she is so badass, dude. Like, she is so Can much cooler. Can we get cooler. her on the podcast? <laughs> Probably could. I mean, I, my mom My mom loves people. Like, she she, she loves a chance to, like, talk about her work because she, she's so passionate about what she does. Um, all throughout my childhood, she would, like, go and uh, record stories of people whose stories were not being told. Her whole mission has always been to That's tell awesome. the side of the coin that people aren't really hearing because we don't really talk about it. So like That's I remember very much in line with what we're kind of trying to do here. Yeah. I would love to talk to her. Oh yeah. my god, you would probably love her. Like my my earliest memory of my mom going away for her work was uh she flew to South Dakota and was documenting the horrible living conditions that the Lakota people there were being forced to live with on the reservations because the area around one of the 
reservations was so racist that they would not allow any businesses to do business with the Lakota. And my mom had such a nice reception when she was in town at first because she was staying at a hotel and she was going in documenting. A lot of these houses had black mold. People were getting really sick. People were dying. Like kids were going to the hospital. Like it was a it was a horrible thing. And they weren't getting any assistance. Um, And something crazy. Yeah. Right. And something that's uh, wasn't commonly known is that um, the reservation, the I think they're called the Black Hills. Um, it it sits on uranium deposits, and the government wants access to it, but they can't because of the reservation being native land. Uh-huh. So I'm sure that's fun for basically them. any chance they got for sick people to leave and then be kicked off the land, they would try to. They were basically trying to shrink the res. Right. And uh, my mom was there to try to like bring awareness, get them support, whatever it was she could do. And I remember her telling me that after her first day, she went back to a diner in town and she was eating and somebody was just chatting with her, you know, just like friendly conversation. And she mentioned that she was documenting the Lakota's horrible living conditions. And then she got back to her hotel and all of her stuff had been packed. And she had a note saying she was no longer welcome there. <laughs> this is, this is not bags? like the 80s. This isn't the 90s. This is like 2004. This is Holy like, shit. you know, this is not that long. 20 years is, you know, a minute ago, but not that long ago when you think about it. At least they didn't light <laughs> her stuff on fire, I guess. No, right? <laughs> and like she was taken in by a Lakota family and all they had to eat was corn because that was all they could farm. And they oh gave her everything God. they had. Like they were so nice. And they had a 16-year-old daughter who made me a dream catcher. And I still Aww. have that to this day. It sits above my bed. Still catching your dreams. Yeah, I've never not had that thing. So, like, my mom, oh, she's so cool. She's so cool. (laughs) That's, that's, I find that story very interesting. And, like, so context for that thought. I, at some point, had been on, um, like, I finished high school in Quinnell, northern BC, right? And they have a few uh, reservation lands up there. Mm -hmm. And I was on one of them one night drinking with some friends from high school. And, uh, We weren't even that far into the reservation, honestly. We were, like, a five-minute drive from, like, city limits kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the house that we were at didn't have running water. Like, we had to pee on a tree and wash our hands in a bucket of water, like, by the door. And I was like, this is, for one, this is supposed to be, like, Canada, a first-world country. And, like, we tout our running, clean drinking water, like, to the entire world. And a house five minutes from city limits doesn't have running water? Like, what is this? There are so many reservations in Canada with boil water advisories. It is absolutely insane. Like, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, but, like, I try to keep tabs on some of it because, like, my my mom, I I was raised with, like, a lot of, um, I guess... Feelings of responsibility to try to, like, always do the right thing and try to, like, help people. If you have the ability to help someone, the thing has always been help them. the actions of one person can help others, they Yeah, and that's always been my mom's mission with her work because, like, her skill set is documentary work. She's really good at telling stories. She's really good at telling people's stories. So that's what she does, and she always does it. Like, she's never made a lot of money from it. She's done well enough to live, but, you know, it's not, like, a huge big business or anything. She's always done it just to archive the stories and so you know i try to i try to keep tabs on what's going on um especially because you know the indigenous population in canada we all know has not been treated very well (laughs) and i have friends who uh like are from different reservations and like some of the stuff their families have gone through it just like breaks my heart when i hear about it and i've taken um 
like indigenous studies at school to try to like learn more from the indigenous perspective as much as I can to like be a better help. And they have so much like there's old knowledge that they carry in their tribes that the Western world, Western societies have just like completely forsaken. Yeah. Basically, for the last 200 years, the Western world has said if we can't prove it with science, we don't care. It's not real. Yeah. But like (laughs) all of these communities that were like tribes or villages, ancient communities that go back anywhere from 200 years to 4,000 years ago, they had thousands of years of trial and error, empirical science. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's only been recorded as science (laughs) for the last 200 years. It was still trial and error, empirical science. 100%. Before that. I know. And there's plenty of things. I mean, like I'm a psych major, so there's plenty of things that uh, you cannot physically measure necessarily that that are there. Like we we know emotions are a thing. You can't really truly prove emotions exist. We have measuring tools to measure brain patterns. They are literally what drive every action of a human being. And thoughts, thoughts and consciousness. This is like an endless debate in the academic community. Is consciousness real? Can you prove consciousness is real? Like we like to think that, yeah, it's real. We're conscious. I like to think I'm conscious. You know, you feel self-conscious if you do something weird. You know, you say something weird to a cashier. You're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. You know? (laughs) Almost every day. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, like, you can't empirically prove it. And so, like, I don't think, yeah, I think think there's a weird gap with some of the science community when it comes to empirical testing because you can't prove everything. There's there's a lot of life that cannot necessarily be empirically measured. It can be measured in other ways. It's just not empirical measurement. I think a lot of people, like, it can be a cause of great unhappiness for a lot of people to, like— For example, Einstein, as much as he gave to the world, as brilliant as he was, and as many, like, theorems and laws that he could possibly put out and verify, it almost drove him crazy at the end that he couldn't unify his general relativity and quantum theories. Yeah. Like, something that at some point in his life had given him great joy and done remarkable things for the world, but, like, it was literally driving him mad at the end. I believe that. You know what? I read something about Einstein uh, a while ago, and I was—I told somebody about this yesterday, so it's funny you brought up Einstein. Apparently, at a certain point, because he was working with numbers that were so insane, like, he couldn't do normal math anymore. I mean, Just, I feel that going through engineering school. I can't yeah. do math with numbers. I have to do it with variables and then substitute numbers into a calculator well, or something. Yeah, <laughs> like it makes so much sense. I know, like I, I don't do I don't do a lot of mathematics, but like with psychology, I remember when I first got into it, I was in high school and I had a teacher who was like, I think you'd be really good at psychology. You're very like you're really able to understand people and under, and understand what drives them. And I see that with your interactions. I think you should foster this but excuse me um he was like just know once you do that you'll never unlearn it you can't turn it off you're never going to Mm. not know what's going on with people so like be prepared because it's a really big emotional load and I was like yeah sure whatever you know whatever (laughs) cool so I started getting really into it and within two years I was like right yeah it's hard to understand the context of what he means when he's saying that until you started to cross over yeah and then and then at that point you're like 
wow, yeah, he was right. You can't turn it off and you can't go back to being in that state of unknowing. So like I, I yeah. could totally vibe with like the Einstein thing of like, you kind can't of... do normal math. I can't just be, <laughs> I just can't, I can't look at someone and take most of their things at face value anymore. I always know there's something else oh, happening okay. in okay. most cases, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's very analogous to the film industry even. Um, oh my God, I had such a perfect <laughs> parallel and now I lost my train of thought. Um Einstein. Nope, I lost it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, dude. I have those all the time. I'm like mid thought, and then the ADHD kicks oh. in, and I'm like, "Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it's gone." Uh, it was. Uh... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. Uh, like not being able to like unsee the behind the scenes yes. stuff, right? After you work in film, whenever you watch. A movie or a TV oh show, God. you're always thinking of it from the perspective of how it's made. Oh, Even if yes. you can still get in there and enjoy it, there's always that little piece that can't like detach yourself from like the behind the scenes. Or like one of the biggest ones to me is whenever there's a huge scene, say there's like someone like falls off a ladder and spills paint across mm -hmm. a room, right? It's yep. like, oh man, how like it must have taken them so long to reset <laughs> that, clean up yeah, all that right. paint. <laughs> Oh, my God. Dude, I'm so glad you brought that up because there's a rule at my friend's movie nights now that I'm not allowed to speak from the start of the movie to the end of the movie <laughs> because I sit there and I'm like, there's a boom. I'm like, there's the camera. I'm like, you see that guy? That's the director. Like, I'm just, I ruin movies all the time or I'll be like, that looks like North Van. And then I look it up. I'm like, yeah, that's North Van. You oh, know? I do that all the time, Just, too. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've been in that area, like, maybe even last week. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, with me, too, I've had to read so many scripts now that, like, uh, even though I've I've never gone to film school. Reading scripts is almost the skill in its own because they come off so different than reading a novel they do. or a they short do. story. I I love it. I lo Like, I really like to read. Most of the time, I don't get enough time to, to read that. I would like to. I used to read a lot. I mean, it's uh, I don't anymore. In the modern, like, unless you are independently wealthy and can do anything with all of your day, <laughs> true. You, it's hard to have enough time to read. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And like, I also, when I'm really into something, I'll just like hyper focus into it for a I mean, while. The ADHD, and, yep. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> I will spend if I find a book I really like. It'll be nine hours before you could pull me away from that book, and I just can't donate nine hours to yeah. that, you know. So I definitely have done that with many books too. One of the most prominent memories was uh, with the sixth and seventh Harry Potter books. Ooh. Like as soon as I got them, I literally like I didn't read or I didn't stop reading for the first two days I had them. And then by the time I realized, like, oh, no, there's only, like, a quarter of the book left, I was like, shit, I <laughs> like, need to really slow sad. down. <laughs> I read those with my dad before bed as a kid. Those were, like, oh, it was that, that and such Lord a good, of the Rings. Like, father-daughter memory to have. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. It was funny. Yeah, you were talking about, like, what it's like growing up with uh, with film yes. parents. and. It, it's it was it was cool, but it was also kind of weird. Like my parents got divorced when I was really young. I was like six or seven years old when they separated, and I think I was like eight or nine when they fully divorced. Um, and like I feel like I didn't really have a relationship with my dad all that much before mm -hmm. that. Like I knew he was my dad, right. but I didn't really see him as somebody I was super close to. I just knew he was my dad, and I treated him as such. He was a family member. You okay. know, you care about them, but I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. I like. 
like what I remembered like more often than not was on like a Saturday morning because he was in ALM at the time. So he did really long hours. I mean, yeah, that explains you know, why like, you didn't really know him I didn't very see well. Him, you know, I didn't <laughs> see him really at all. And then when I did see him, it was on the weekends and he was exhausted. Like I'd run into the bedroom, my parents' room, and I'd like jump on him to wake him up. And he'd be like, oh, my God, like go away. Raising you know? a kid as like a film worker, especially in locations, must be or in transport. Like, Oh, yeah. Dude, 20 hours a day I you're can't gone imagine like, yeah with there's a reason a lot of them are divorced <laughs> yeah well that that's kind of that's that's a huge film thing I think like it's weird because when you're in film it's it's hard to date outside of film because a lot of people don't understand how film works and you have yeah. to have a really like confident and comfortable person um 100%. to be able to like have that relationship work if they don't know film like if they're not from film and that's really hard to find like i've i've been so absolutely hard. floored with some of the people i've dated where they're like are you cheating on me i'm like dude when when <laughs> am i gonna have time to cheat are you thinking do you think after my 16 hour day that i'm going <laughs> and sleeping with someone and then coming home to you like bitch i don't have the do energy you, to sleep with you, see you. The way i'm dressed right now <laughs> There is no way. Are you crazy? Yeah. But it's just like they just don't they don't get it. They're like, there's no way you're working that many hours. You're like, yeah, absolutely. I am. That's, there's a similar that's thing the with entrepreneurs. Um, mm. Like when I was living in Shenzhen, uh, working for a startup that I started in university, uh, like this conversation, like every Friday, uh, the office would do they called it like founder stories. Okay. So they would like cycle through the different teams that worked out of the office. Each of them would like kind of tell their stories. The office would provide beer and pizza. Oh nice. Um, the lead industrial designer in the office was Irish, so he would supply whiskey for oh, anyone who didn't like nice. beer, which is very what nice. I drank because I can't stand beer. Yeah, I can't do beer either. <laughs> just bloats me. <laughs> uh, and then we would just like bond and shoot the shit nice. in the office for the rest of the night, right? And, like, that came up quite frequently was the troubles of dating outside of other people that are trying to start companies because you're, like, yeah. you're there working in your office for, like, 15 hours a day, similar to film, right? And the only people that understand that kind of lifestyle are the people also doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really crazy. And, I mean, like, my parents did pretty well, but I think I think they just weren't very well matched to begin with, to be honest. My parents are so different, like the type of people they are, just emotionally and their backgrounds and stuff. Okay. I honestly, as I learned who they were as, as an adult, I was like, I don't understand how they like how got, they got together. together. I've wondered like, that about a bunch of people. Yeah, like, it was. Yeah. It, it's weird. Like they're both really good people in their own right, but I never would have thought of them as compatible people, which it, it was very interesting. I think like they, they both had they were introduced to each other by mutual childhood friends. And I think that that's okay. kind of like what what started it. They were both sort of like, I mean, a little bit older in terms of the 90s. Like at that point, my mom was right. like in her late 30s and so was my dad. So everyone was settling down, having kids. They were doing that. I personally think, and I really hope my parents don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I personally think they felt the biological clock going down and I mean, that were gets, like, we need like, to get married and have kids. Yeah, you know? <laughs> as you get older, you start to realize how powerful the biological clock actually is. Like I know- yeah. I mean, there's some female friends that I have that have kind of started to make that transition, whereas, like, in the their 20s, they were like, I don't want kids at all. <laughs> and now they're like, well, maybe with the right person. 
And then probably yeah. in like another five years, they're going to be like, all right, time to hit the sperm bank if yeah. they're not partnered yeah. up. <laughs> I have a friend. She's uh, she's in her 30s and she is like, oh, you don't even know how bad it's going to get. You don't even know. I'm like, well, you're not ma- you're not selling it to me. <laughs> like, you're not making me like want to exist that long. <laughs> she's like, well, you know, it's just well, it's going to happen to you. It's going to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, you, you know, dying at 27 sounds really good right about now. Like all the greats. Right. Is it 27? That, all like, right. You got two James years Dean to and... finish your magnum opus and then you're checking out. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to live forever. It's going to be great. No, she she tells me that like all the time. She's like, oh, my God, it's so it's such a problem. You're, you're going to you're going to hate it. I'm like, thanks. Like it kind of it kind of reminds me of the stories I hear of people who like have kids and their friends haven't had kids yet. And they're like, oh, it's so great. Everything's awesome. Like children are the best. And then they have the children, like the friends have kids and they're like, welcome to hell. Like yeah. I've heard that sentiment <laughs> so much. I'm like, dude. hundred <laughs> percent. I've heard that so many times. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely started hitting that point where my friends are like getting married and having kids and I'm just like, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, A bunch of my friends got married like kind of in the three years between when quarantine started and sort of last summer mm-hmm. is like that stretch made a lot of people either break up or get engaged kind of thing right Uh, so they they all got married kind of in like a two-year period there and now they're starting to like plan their families and like getting ready to have kids kind of thing and and then i'm over here on the opposite side where it's like i'm male but like to some degree i'm still kind of feeling the biological clock Mm -hmm. ticking there is a paternal instinct oh yeah 100 percent yeah but it still feels weird to look at them settling down into families thinking that because like COVID made me miss the period where they looked like they were starting to settle down and get ready right. to have their families. Right. Oh, okay. So it's like you see them as a couple that were like a great functional couple yeah, before. Yeah. But then you just like skip this very formative period in their relationship. And now all of a and sudden they're like there's... married and ready to have children. Yeah, It's like you blinked and you're like, oh, my God, these yeah. people are so like different now. Things are different. Yeah, I kind of miss COVID, to be honest. I miss <laughs> I miss the period of time not working for five months. I actually had so much fun during COVID. I had more fun than I've had in a long time. And it actually... That's really... nice to hear because a lot of people didn't. I know. And I know. And it, and it feels weird saying that. Like, I, I don't mean to <laughs> Feel discredit. a little guilty. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't mean to discredit anyone's shitty experiences. But for me, like, I was... Like, we were talking before we started about how the hours I was doing on the first season of ND. Dude, film hours are and horrible. It was just the workload and everything. And, like, I went through a bad breakup that year. And, like, I was just not having a good time. So having five months where I, like, was forced to be with myself and decompress and, like, really look at myself and deal with my problems, I, like, came out of it feeling so much more mentally healthy. Like, I I worked on myself during that five months. I'm a water bottle cheers you for that because I had a very similar experience. Yeah? Yeah. Heck Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was uh, seeing someone at the start of COVID and because of a series of circumstances, she ended up living with me in this house. Like, and at that time there were four of us like roommates already living here. And just because of the crazy cycle of events, we ended up taking her in and like my roommates were super nice about it. Super understanding. Uh, And then out of nowhere, she just started trying to, like, pit us against each other and just would, oh. like, drop little things here and there trying oh. to, like, 
get between us or oh, like wow and it what it came out being was that she was like trying to split me apart from them essentially so i would move out with her oh. and because like yeah, at that point i was supporting her that's more a problem <laughs> and um yeah so we finally like very luckily got her out of the house just before Congrats. quarantine happened Jesus. like two weeks before yeah, lockdown yeah that would have been really hard <laughs> yeah. once lockdown hit uh, oh my god probably not all four people that lived in this house would have survived if she had stayed here. I mean, yeah, likely we would have just moved out or split ways sooner. But yeah, she put me in the worst kind of mental place. But having that like five, six months to really like pick my brain yeah. apart and put it back together properly. Yeah, I went through so many breakthroughs of just things that like I don't think I, <clears throat> excuse me, ever really had the time to deal with just from working in film. Like film is a really good industry. It gives you like a lot of opportunity and skills. You learn a lot. There's a lot of really cool people in film and I've been really fortunate to have always worked with some really like professional teams. Um, That's nice because there are a lot of teams that are not professional. There are. There are. There's, there's so many so many shitty people in film but i think it's also kind of a product of what film is oh the conditions like, they put people the conditions through, are brutal the sleep deprivation alone yes. like that was one of the best things yeah. about coming back from quarantine into film is that everyone was rested and nice for like yes. the first six months <laughs> everyone was excited to be back yes. which was so different from normal which is like oh, i gotta go back to work and make money that i'm not gonna spend because i gotta go back to work every day you know like yeah. it was it was it was weird and like i had just been working so hard for so long at that point like once I graduated I luckily had a full-time gig right out of high school um with the team I've been working for for 10 oh, years that is, so especially in film where there isn't a lot of job security yeah that must have been very nice feeling it was to have. it was nice and it and it was funny because it, it wasn't my first plan but basically what had happened was um, after I worked with my dad, he told me to network. And, uh, so I did every, every set I went to, I like made contact with the PAs and like anytime my dad had PAs, I just like got their numbers so I could keep in contact with them. And that got me eventually in touch with, uh, Bob McCory, rest in peace. He passed away mm. a few years ago from lung cancer. He, he was my mentor all throughout high school. Um, he saw at first he was kind of like, ah, oh, she's a high school kid. I don't know. <laughs> so he brought me out. He was nice. He like asked me what I knew. I told him what my dad had taught me, he put me in some spots. And then he realized like I was eager to be there. Like I enjoyed it a lot. So he kind of took me under his wing. He's like, listen, I know you're going back to school. You should finish your education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you ever want work, call me, text me, tell me when you want to work. I I'll put you on our clock like immediately. I was like, okay. So I would text him and go, hey, I don't have anything happening on Friday. I can ditch school. And he would put me on the clock. And he was such a sweetheart. He would like pick me up because he knew I couldn't drive at that point because I was 15. You know? <laughs> I didn't have a license. So he would pick me up or he would like meet me halfway. And at the end of the night, he would make sure I got home because he was like, I don't want you taking the bus like by yourself this Especially late. Especially if it's a, yeah, a late shift. Yeah. Like, like you he could was, be midnight on your way home yeah he was such a sweetheart such a sweetheart so like he was really like like my my shining star in film and i worked with him and then i eventually met um like the rest of the team that i worked with and towards the end of high school uh, i think it was like my march break because i'd work all throughout my summer in march breaks and then i would take days off here and there um but yeah at the end of my march break i was approached by one of our other alms kelly who you might have met um i don't know if i actually did meet mckeegan him. No, you might not have. No, I know Bob. He was actually one of my first. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Nancy Drew season one was tied for my first show with 
Motherland season one. Oh, wow. Okay. Dude, I yeah. didn't know you were so fresh to film then. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. I thought you had like a longer history in film than that. That's no, super it's, insane. Um, yeah, I worked for about eight months and then quarantine shut us down. And like I, I when I got oh. into it, I got my... So I had finished with the company that I was in uh, Shenzhen and then San Francisco for. And um, like... Because of the shit that went down, like, I got fired from my company, and then immediately after that, or in the same, like, week period, I found out that my grandpa had cancer and was dying. Oh, no. Uh, and so I just had, like, a shitty six months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty brutal. And um, then I finally, like, got tired of beating myself up and sitting on the couch and doing nothing and just walking around Port Moody, and I uh, was planning on looking for my next engineering job mm. and just like to fill time I told my friend to put out my number and see if anyone in film would call me back nice and I didn't hear anything for a week and a half and then on the same day I got two texts from two different shows asking me oh. if I wanted to work <laughs> the next week uh and then like from that first I think it was a Monday shoot day mm. on motherland and then I worked like Nancy Drew on Tuesday. I worked all seven days that week, and then I ended up working like all seven days for the next month. Okay, because I just like felt bad about saying no because it was two different shows. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, if I say no, they're never gonna call me back. That's that is the common that is a common film thing. I've yeah. I've heard that a lot, and I mean, I I've had very limited experience with that personally because I've had to say no a few times. But like I've oh man, it always makes me feel so sad for folks that are getting into film where they're like I have to I have to bust my own ass out so, so hard in order to make it and like I feel like I feel like in the long run the film industry has to change um oh, and absolutely. be more the sleep deprivation the... alone is not sustainable. Yeah, so I mean <laughs> I'm I'm going to school right now for psychology whenever I can. Like I I go at least one semester a year. And the thing that I want to do when I finish my education, I'm I'm trying to get a master's at least, ideally a PhD, but it's all about time and money, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. PhD <laughs> is another like six years on top of your master's for yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm twenty five, you know, I don't wanna be adding like I'm I'm really adamant I don't wanna go through student debt. So if I wanted oh, yeah. to as just... someone carrying a bunch of student debt from engineering school, it's not fun. Yeah, well that that's kind of <laughs> I don't want to be like restarting my life in my like mid to late 30s. I want to be like if I'm finishing school, great. And then moving on to other things, great. But I don't want to be then carrying that load that late, you know. So yeah. um, it takes it a little it's taking me a little longer to finish my education. But when I'm done, I, I want to go back to the unions and be like, hey, I worked in film for this many years. I know what it's like. We need to change the way our film world is structured eventually i feel like the time alone that people work needs to be like reduced because it's not healthy in the long Absolutely. run um it's it's like scientifically you can find so many papers about how Endless. bad it is for the sleep deprivation alone on how our body functions you wonder why so many people in film have health problems we don't even cool. have time to deal with our health One of problems the dgc courses i was doing they literally tell you while you're like going through the process of trying to get your union membership that the average life expectancy for a film worker is like 59 yeah. because of the sleep if deprivation. you start yeah if you start at like i guess 19 yeah so by the time <laughs> yeah well there's also some statistics that are hidden somewhere i don't remember where to find them but um i remember hearing my boss talk about them and it was about specific departments having specific uh 
like higher rates of mortality related to certain things. Mm. And mm -hmm. ALMs for them in women, it's breast cancer. For men, it's really? lung cancer. ALMs who've been in the business for a long time tend to develop that. And like, and I mean, I say That's tend to, like there's there... a lot of numbers. There isn't a lot of numbers yeah. on this from my understanding. It's okay. just kind of a statistic the unions are sort of like building, I guess. That was what my boss was saying. But I was like, I'm not surprised because weirdly enough, in the last probably five years, I've heard of so many ALMs that I've met being diagnosed with different forms of cancer. And I was like... That's really weird that all these people that I've worked with who've been in film for like 25 plus years are now having this problem. Yeah. But then, you know, it's also there's so many variables related to that. So it's not like a well, yeah. foolproof, you know, like, like you it's would not expect lung cancer from a lot because there's a lot of people that smoke on set. Right. Yeah. And... Yeah. And I mean, we're also around a lot of carcinogens all the time. Oh, I'm the trucks running all the time. Trucks running. How about how about the Atmo that's supposedly really <laughs> safe for us to be inhaling all day, every Except day, 15 got, hours. It's got a scent and. <laughs> a flavor so there's something in it that's Dude, not just water vapor i can't i can't be near atmo it gives me headaches like immediately i like oh even if i'm outside especially the outside stuff the one that has to be really really thick mm. it's like i think it's glycerin based yes um, i think i've heard that before yeah like there's there's from my understanding there's two kinds of smoke there's water-based and glycerin based water-based can be used indoors uh glycerin based cannot like that mm. is that is you have to evacuate the building if you use the wrong um, fluid in the the machines, and I only know that because You've my had to ex, evacuate. <laughs> my ex worked at Harbor Event Center, and somebody put the wrong smoke into the smoke machine, and we had to <laughs> clear the building. And I was there after work one day. They they had like a rave going, and I was sitting up in the the. Uh, lighting booth because he was a lighting tech and I was just vibing and I was like dude what's that smell and he goes oh, no and he had to run downstairs he's like we got to get everyone out and sure enough like the lights came on we had to all evacuate I was like fuck <laughs> if you can't tell me that if that stuff is not safe to have in an enclosed building the that that's okay standing, to breathe yeah right? like yeah and like I've thought about this a lot too there's a lot of places we go into in film like Riverview Hospital for example that are deemed safe but I don't I don't think realistically these things are deemed safe I think a lot of things in life we we say they're safe but what they really are, are just things you can't trace back to a specific thing you know it doesn't make it safe That's but they're like scientifically we can't be like oh well you worked at Riverview Hospital every day for every season of of, of uh, Supernatural for 15 years and uh, now you have oh, cancer and mesothelioma and we we it's not because you worked in that building. Totally though. not. It's because of all these other things. You know, there's so many variables in play that it's hard to pinpoint. But I, I'm not entirely convinced that some of the places we work are genuinely safe and aren't just like safe in small quantities. Yeah, I knew a painter from I think it was from Motherland season one, and she refused to walk into any of the buildings on site without oh, wow. her like full blown filtered mask. And I'm not just talking like. COVID wear this mask to not spread germs mask. I'm talking about like, like proper full, 3M like, like filtration damn. mask. Yeah, I don't know if I would go. I mean, like I, I say I say that I'm not entirely convinced, but I don't do anything to like protect myself. I just I feel like it's a little weird to speak in absolutes, you know, like a Sith Lord. I don't think <laughs> I don't think it's smart to be like, oh, yeah, for sure. This is always safe. Like, I don't I don't think anything's ever 100 percent. I mean, I don't and that's think... like kind of pulling it back to Einstein. That's a fundamental thing in mm -hmm. physics, too, is like 
anything that we call a law of physics isn't actually a law of physics because we can't prove that there is not one instance somewhere in some regard where that law breaks. Yeah. So technically it's not a law. It's just it's a theory or a like rule of thumb, Mm -hmm. I guess. (laughs) You know what really got me was uh, when I started... Excuse me. Um, learning statistics for psychology, you have to oh, take statistics. Man. And I once failed I stats understood, three times. well, I failed stats twice. I passed it on really? the third time. I did so well <laughs> in stats. It was like, like at least at my school. I don't know if my school. You took engineering, so I'm and sure. And I played video games in most of it. Crazy. So like, I failed. We had to take the stats class that was like Macam stats, and I failed that twice, mostly because I was playing League of Legends in class. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do it. My my kryptonite was ARC. <laughs> All of COVID, 16 hours a day for like a month. I like, I, it was bad. Still had to put in those full film chips. I had to, I, <laughs> I had to cut it off. <laughs> but yeah, like, I don't know, with stats, once, once people understand what stats are, like they're benchmarks. It's not a, like... It, it's not to be treated like a fact. Like it is factual information, yeah. but it's not, it, there's no context to it. So you could take any group of people and then be like, all right, well, how often do these people eat meat and build a statistic from that? But you can't necessarily apply that number to the rest of the population. But Absolutely. people use stats as facts all the time. All the time. And once I understood how stats work and how you get those numbers, I was like, oh my God, dude. Like, this doesn't you can't use these as facts, man. It's a benchmark. It's like a, an estimate. Yeah. But like I don't know. I feel like people don't really get that. <laughs> There's an interesting um like one of the do I don't really know if I should call it a correlation, but like a similarity between um like current artificial intelligence algorithms. Mm. Because, like, lots of people say they can't be conscious because they are just probabilities, right? It's right. just stats. They're random number generators that are producing a probability of an event happening. But, like, let's step back and think about how people make decisions or react or how you choose the next word in your sentence. It is the exact same process. You, based on experiences that you have had in your life, are predicting the most likely word for you to say in your next sentence or like essentially like based on the context of what you were trying to put out and the context of what someone else has put in as input you're just stringing together words in much the mm-hmm. same way that these algorithms do it's a good point i don't think i've ever thought about it like that but yeah that makes sense like i was for a while one of those people who was kind of like i don't know matt like because i was seeing so much fear mongering about ai oh, and i was like so much. guys like it doesn't work like that like i i took i took one coding course for for <laughs> my university because i wanted to understand a little bit i was like this this seems it's like a good. helpful everyone thing, should you know? take a little bit of exposure to it yeah at least. and i had a lot of fun with it but i remember like building programs and being like yeah guys like it's it's not it's it's not sitting there thinking and going i'm gonna because the video that i saw that everyone was worried about was this robot uh like killing itself after after doing menial tasks for like 10 minutes and i'm like dude the code probably stopped repeating or something like it probably just the the iterances didn't continue i don't i don't really know how to explain it but i was like it's I don't think the robot was like, oh, man, being an Amazon worker is really hard and then stopped. (laughs) So, like, 
but for a while, like I was, I was one of those people who was like, yeah, like it's, it's not, it's not that deep guys. It's not that deep. It doesn't have to be that deep. It's just code. It's just code. But like the way you just explained it. Yeah. Like it's, we, we operate much in the same way. We're just very fast computers. We're we're the fastest computer that exists. So many more like, um, orders of magnitude faster than like Mm -hmm. the amount of processing that happens in like a single second in our brain compared to like literally you need a supercomputer the size of warehouses to make that kind of computation which is one of the reasons why one ai is so computationally heavy Mm -hmm. for all these massive companies and for two why these massive companies need so many server warehouses like oh yeah to try and recreate the power that is in our heads is like we just don't have the technology to do it. It's amazing <laughs> to think about, isn't it? Like it's so it's so cool to think about how our tiny little brains that worry about cat videos and what we're wearing <laughs> each day also have the capabilities of like just such expansive knowledge and like oh my god, it it's it's so wild. It is so so wild. Mm-hmm. It like blows my mind. Anytime I think about what it is to be a person for longer than like 20 minutes, I go down this like internal philosophical rabbit hole of like, Jesus, we're just we're a brain with like a brain stem and a nervous system. And then everything else is just the vessel we carry it with. But all of who we are is like inside of our head. Everything we think of ourselves, how we view other people, all of this stuff is all superficial. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't last. But that thing, that thing is like, I don't know, it's like eternal in a different kind of way. You can even take that argument a step further and say that, like, because everything we perceive is inside our head, our perception of reality exists only inside our head. True. Absolutely. Oh, I 100% <laughs> believe that. Yeah, it's it's like, um, uh, it's like when you look in the mirror, you don't... Uh, you don't see the same version of yourself that other people see. Because when you look in the mirror, most people, pretty much everyone, sees features on themselves as a little bit more skewed than they are. They might be like, oh, I don't like my nose, I don't like my lips, or like maybe my face is more round than it is. And other people see you like as you physically are. So they don't necessarily recognize those same things. And there's a theory that if you met your identical twin, like somebody doppelganger, identical um, you wouldn't recognize them because you don't see yourself the way you actually are. That's fascinating. And, I love that. And I've seen this in action as much as we don't like the app on TikTok. There's, <laughs> there is a um, filter and what it does is it 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 kind of like it does this flip thing with the image. So instead of looking at the right side, if you film it with your right side, your video or photo, oh, okay. yeah. it flips it so it becomes your left side. And all these people look at themselves and they're like, is that what I look like? And you see you see the look on their face of just like pure amazement of like, that's my face. So oh. like even just swapping, it, it like it does that. so much. <laughs> it's so crazy. It is so, so crazy. But it's it's really interesting. We we only have our perspectives to base the world off of, which is why there's so many different perspectives out there and so many yes. different ways to navigate the world. Like we we are experiencing the world in a new way that everyone else is also experiencing simultaneously. None of us have done this before. We're all yeah. doing this. And it, like every single person's experience is completely unique to that yeah. person. And no one else can ever share in that exact same perspective. 100%, 100%. And there's, there's it's, Depending on how you look at it, I'm I'm a very like optimistic person, so I don't look at it as a negative. But it really no, I does. I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, it hammers in the the idea that you are really truly alone. You are the only person that you will ever 
that will ever understand you truly. Like other people can understand you very well, but you are the only person living your individual life. You're the only person accessing your thoughts and understanding your version of the world that exists out there. Nobody else is going to be able to absorb that. They might hear it, they might understand, but they're not going to feel it the same way you do. Mm-hmm. So like it's 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 very cool being a person. Like I think it's really cool. <laughs> I very much agree. I haven't had anyone yet exper- or, uh, talk about how much they enjoy being a person in that regard. I wish I had a better way of saying that because I feel like I botched it. But it very much, yes, it is an incredibly unique experience, which, I mean, to say that seems kind of weird. Cause, it like, does. It's meta. <laughs> it's meta. We're, we're cracking the code. <laughs> which I love to do. Brain games are so fun. Oh, dude, um, I, I think about it all the time. I mean, like, okay, so right now I work, I think I told you what I'm doing for work right now because the film industry is dead and I have some health problems that aren't really conducive with film right now anyways. So I mean, yeah, there's, if you have anything in your body that is not right, film is probably not a great yeah, thing to be doing. No, and it's, and it's unfortunate that that's the case. Like you could build your whole career off of film and then you know something might happen to your body whether or not it it could be related to working in film it might just be a freak thing like Mm -hmm. but regardless like there there is no protection for you you're not going to continue being able to work like there there isn't really a give there yeah Um, and I mean as the film industry is right now I would not be recommending it to people who have physical problems or disabilities or anything like that because it it isn't conducive but maybe down the line it would be nice if there were some like openings and that gap could be bridged but think about all the talent that could bring beautiful pieces of art to the moving screen oh yeah that can't access the industry because like they're just physically not capable yeah I remember I felt so bad because it was out of my hands but we had a PA who got uh injured on set um he he slipped and mm. he slipped because it was wet like there was no way to avoid it you know it's in just Vancouver, it's an accident in Vancouver it's almost impossible to avoid wetness yeah and we were we were filming on location and what had happened was a uh, transport guy had given RPA a package for camera so he walked over and there was like a little hill he had to walk over mm. and when he was walking down he slipped on some mud and um unfortunately he injured himself quite severely in his leg and it required him to be off work for a while like he had to go through work I, I guess it was like work safe or whatever, uh, whoever right. pays you yeah. for that period of time. Um, and when he came back, he told me like he contacted me because I was checking in on him. Like I felt so bad because he's such a nice guy. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the worst. And uh, I remember him telling me that his caseworker was like, oh, hey, so I've been cleared to come back to work. But like here, here's the list of things I can't do. And I looked at that list. I was like, you can't work in film, dude. Like I, I want to say, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want to say that I could bring you onto set, but I can't like I can't one. I cannot responsibly bring you onto set knowing that you cannot stand for long periods, that you cannot lift things that because that's a lot of the job. And like, I'd like to Especially say that as I could, a PA. That is basically your job is yeah. to stand places and move things. Yeah. And I was like, I'd like to say that I could just throw you on a generator, but like I don't have any positions that don't require you to at least do some of these things at some point. Like I don't right. know if this is a safe place for you. Like this, you're probably going to injure yourself again. And like I just, I can't do that. So like I, I went to 
like production to kind of be like, I don't know how we handle this. Like, what do we do with this? And they're like, we're just we can't like we can't bring that person on. And it wasn't because of a liability thing for them. They were just like, this is this is just not safe, period. Like, this is not a safe situation. This person needs to like find different employment. And I was like, man, like it is out of my control. But I felt yeah. so bad, you know, because well, I'm like, to have that such conversation a good PA too. too. Such a good person, just a genuinely good person. He had a lot of capabilities outside of physical capabilities, but there was just no application for that in that situation, right. you know? So I was like, man, I hope he's doing okay. I haven't talked to him in a long time after that. I like called him. I had a conversation with him. I'm like, I'm really sorry, dude. Like I can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to pull this back into our main theme of creativity oh, yeah. and ask you the number one question I ask everyone. Ooh. What does creativity mean to you? Oh man. I guess, I guess, I think creativity means freedom to me a little bit. Okay. Creative um, freedom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The the first thing I ever saw walking onto any kind of set, the first, like when I stepped out of my dad's van on my first day ever as a PA, I saw a five foot tall Asian guy with dreads down to his ankles, tattoos all over. And I was like, if this industry allows that, I am here. (laughs) I was I was so there for it. I'm like, look at that guy. He looks so cool. Like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy's friend. You know, like I was like, I've never seen anything like that. And then I just kept meeting characters and I realized just how characters is a great word for yeah I like I realized just how many creative people were in film just from being around there and had the freedom of creativity in that way to like express themselves that way you know because there's a lot of jobs out there that won't that's definitely a pro of film like you can you can have dyed hair you can have tattoos I have a job stop it is more rare (laughs) for film crew to not have tattoos right I don't know if I actually like I might be one of the only people on most of the shows that I've worked that doesn't have a tattoo. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, I knew I wanted tattoos from the age of six. So, like, I, w- <laughs> I used to draw them all the time. I would get Sharpies and tattoo my arms with them. Like, I was so into the rock and roll thing when I was really young. And so, like, but my, my parents were always like, no, that's self-mutilation. That's all this stuff. So I came onto a film set and I was like, oh, my God, that girl has pink hair. <gasps> you can do that and still have a job? <laughs> Yo, because I'd always been told you can't yeah. do that. You know, you'll never get a job with tattoos. You'll never get this. You'll never get that. And suddenly, turns like, out it makes you perfect for film, right? It's like, basically your oh resume. My God. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's just so much versatility with film too. Like I've I've learned a lot of skills in film from just like being around it and like being around really creative people, getting to see how they process things and like how they deal with problems or like create creative solutions. I know with locations, a lot of people don't realize that there is a lot of creativity involved in it. You don't necessarily see it on like the PA level, but when you get into the office and you're having to tell and like ALM and LM, like you're sitting there with the script before anyone else knows where you're filming. And you're going, okay, they want, the art director wants this. Now we have to try to find that. And if we can't find that, we need to make it. How are we going to make it? And if we can't make it, then we have to sell something better. So you have to sit there and be like, okay, well, they said that they want a building style that does not exist in Vancouver. How are we going to convince them that this is the better way to go? And you start looking at locations. And probably you go, involves a building on Riverview somewhere. Probably, <laughs> yeah. You know, and there, there's situations where they're like, yeah, we want we want a building uh, from the 1800s. And we're like, 
we would love to give that to you. <laughs> that does not exist here. What but, else is on your Christmas list? <laughs> yeah, we're like, but here's this nice house that we can dress this way, and we've talked to Art, and they could do it this way, you know? So, like, there, there's there's aspects to the locations team that I've been a part of, at least, that's, like, really, really creative. And, and that was really eye-opening um, once I got up to the office and I got to see that. I, I really enjoyed seeing seeing kind of the way people put together an idea in their mind. Like there have been cases where my boss read the script and went, I don't think this is a mid-century modern house. And she like went to the producer and was like, I read this. Does this read as a mid-century modern? And then the pro- producer's like, no, it doesn't. What do you think? And then they change it. Like, it's so crazy. So That's cool. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I. It's funny. It's not until that I, not until I was uh experiencing like the job loss from covid that i really started getting more creative again and then since i've started going to school i have really really dove into like creative projects and this year especially because i've been sick so i wasn't able Mm. to work for a while and i was like i need hobbies and i started painting pots and i started streaming which has always it's it's been a lot of fun it was never anything i thought i would do or like sit in front of cameras i've always been like kind of uh uh, afraid (laughs) tell me about it one of the reasons why i'm kind of doing this is to get more comfortable not just like being on camera but being me in a way that other people see yeah because there's authentic yeah there's something to that where like it's easy to be you when no one is paying attention it's harder to be you when you're putting yourself out there for everyone to look at. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's 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 weird. Do you ever get nervous? Do you ever get those like like the butterflies um, at the beginning? I think <laughs> the the most nervous I get is when the guest first gets here before we sit down and start talking. Once we actually close the door with a black you're curtain good. and you're I can forget on. outside. Yeah, because the part that I love the most about this kind of thing is just like the engaged one on one back and forth. Um, yeah. I have a much harder time getting to know people in group settings. I like I excel in one-on-one situations. That's good. So as soon as I can tune out the rest of the world, it kind of <laughs> makes good. the nerves go away a little bit. Okay. That's handy. I still get a little nervous sometimes when I like flick on the camera for streaming. Only I mean streaming feels different because it's... like as soon as you turn that camera on, people are watching you live, which yeah. that's not the case for this. <laughs> we go to post, there's editing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 cool. Like I I like I'm really big on self-improvement and uh mm-hmm. as you should be me I, too. Anything that makes me uncomfortable, I rush head first into. Because I want, I want to like always okay. be building myself to get better at something, and I think the right. best way to do that is to get through your discomfort of doing something. Absolutely. So if there's opportunities for me to do something that I maybe n- wouldn't have before, like being in front of a camera or doing this, like I can't even tell you how anxious I was <laughs> all day today. <laughs> but like now that I'm here, it's fine. But like, yeah, I always, I always try to push myself, and like. But I still get it. I still get a little nervous sometimes, like, before streams. Like, this last weekend, I just finished it last night, actually. I did five, uh, my first ever, like, stream event. It was a Halloween yeah. weekend stream. And Costumes it gave, for five days, yeah, right? It gave me a really good excuse to get back into an old passion of mine, which was cosplay. And, like, I did that back when I was 15 before film, and then and I then worked. And then you started film and lost all hobbies yeah. because you've been working yeah. for the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. So I was like, man, I should rediscover this. This is a great excuse. Halloween's the only holiday I actually give a shit about. So I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
just go really hard. So I did five costumes over five different days. And like day one. That's a lot. Making costumes is a lot of it work. It took a month. It took a month. Holy shit. I started in mid, mid-September gathering all of my stuff. I started my plan. I like had the plan in August. By September 1st, I had the dates lined up. And then by mid-September, I was like, okay, I need this for this costume, this for this costume. I started going down So you down basically my followed Costco's Halloween setup. Like, you start in August. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. All my free time when I wasn't working and over my weekends was just costume building. But How much fun did you have doing oh, so it? So much fun. So right? much fun. I mean, uh, and that's I one of the it. things that... Uh, I want to accentuate with this show is how much creativity and creative hobbies bring us joy. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I think it's therapeutic beyond anything else. Like I think everybody should have some kind of art thing that they like to do, Absolutely. whether it's music. To be human or... is to be artist. Yeah, I think I think it's an expression of of like the self more than anything else. Even just you know, if you're sitting down and doodling, doodles don't have to be good, but it it provides something it provides turns like out a... if you doodle for ten thousand hours eventually they will be good yeah right <laughs> you know if you just keep doing something hacking away at it it's gonna get better like there, yeah. there literally is no downside to just trying something and then seeing if you like it and mm-hmm. like i i love to learn i'm a really big big learning person i like never want to stop learning or like educating myself on different things so like anytime i have an excuse to like learn a new thing to go with something else like with costume design I had to learn how to sew again I had to learn how to sew very specifically I made myself a skirt dude I my brain wow. it's not great you know because I, I bought a your cheap costumes look curtain. good oh thank you I, I bought a cheap curtain from the thrift store to make it but I was looking for a specific look that would look good on camera that's a skill and talent applicable. in and of itself like you bought a cheap curtain and turned it into legitimate cosplay yeah yeah you know, I never would have guessed it was a cheap curtain i'm proud i'm <laughs> proud of it it looks better on camera it was definitely one of those things where i was like if i did this again i would probably do it better but this was like if it looks good on camera that's all i need i'm not wearing this skirt out in public it's a costume you know it's yeah. got it's got like craft foam all around like i made <laughs> i made a craft foam belt that kind of loosely resembles something from zelda like oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. would you wear cosplay at something like fan expo i i would love to i went to fan expo 10 years ago like literally so as everything I got... was just before yes. film your life stopped for 10 years yeah, for film it really did all my hobbies just gone all my hobbies just gone all the free time i've had for 10 years has gone to my friends and my family and then if i had boyfriends like that was that was where my time went i mean it's I amazing regret, you even have but... time for those three because like usually you have time for friends or family or boyfriend yeah it was a lot it was a lot <laughs> like and i mean i had the benefit of getting into film really young so i had all of that young gusto but now i'm 25 and it's starting to slow down you Your know superhuman like, factor is going away oh a little yeah bit. i would i would stay up until like three in the morning drinking totally fine not even drunk and then i would go home sleep for like four hours get up go for a hike go hang out with my other friends do it all over again get up on sunday do my house chores and then i was okay on monday no Jesus way Christ. could i do that even three years ago no. dude no yeah three years ago first season of nancy drew every weekend I would go, I would get up at five in the morning. I would find a hike somewhere. I would go hiking solo. And all I would power myself through that was a tall boy Red Bull and a Charleston chew. <laughs> that, I, I made it to the top Breakfast of mountains, of dude. Yeah, I made it to the top of mountains on a 
on a Red Bull and a Charleston too. And I think about that now, and all I think of is the acid reflux that that would cause. <laughs> yeah, your poor digestive I'm like, system. I'm like, oh my God, dude, how did I do that? I did that for like six months. There's definitely uh, one of my less proud moments was in university. I... When I was obsessed with League of Legends, I was trying to get to gold, and I decided to take a week off after midterms before finals to try and marathon to gold. And I bought a flat of Red Bull from Costco, and I didn't leave the house for a week. And at the end of this week, I ended up one rank lower than where I started. (laughs) So not only did I completely waste a week of school, I learned nothing, I was shit at the game. Yeah. Oh god. It just gave me sleep worst. deprivation and probably way more energy drinks oh, than anyone yeah. should drink in a week. Yeah, I've had to I've had to put like a, a f- I have I have like a system to avoid games like that because I if I got really if I let myself get really into games like that, I would just go full tilt. That's actually something interesting I want to touch on since you are a streamer. So yeah. like what do you like how do you pick your games or what determines if a game is like that and you want to avoid it or like do you give it like all right i'll give it five hours oh i enjoyed that five hours way too much i can't give it anymore <laughs> i well i mean i guess i definitely have the benefit of of playing video games for a very long time so i, I kind of have like a little bit of already a setup of what i know i can and can't touch too okay. much of um there's some games that i used to play that i just don't really or i wouldn't really want to stream because i don't think the communities are a good fit for me per se um there's a lot of streaming communities that are really great but then there's also a lot of like really big games that i, never I don't really know. thought about that the individual communities yeah. for each different like game yeah, like there's there's a lot of communities that are really awesome. The majority of them are super awesome, but I also think that just my personality might not mesh with some of them. Um, yeah. And like there's there's also plenty of communities like for games that I might play certain FPS games that I might play that I know the communities might be a little weird. I've seen I've seen the way they tear apart female streamers oh. sometimes, and I'm like specifically female streamers for yeah, FPS games. I mean, some know, of them. Like, why is do you have a theory or I any... think I think that it kind of boils down to some people thinking that like some of those women because they they do exist out there are just. Like they're having a guy play the game and then they're on camera to make it look like they're playing and it's sort of an eye candy thing. And I think that mm. that Does idea that actually exist. Yes. I mean, it must because yes. someone's thought of it as a thought, which yes. means it has to yes. exist somewhere. It, it, it has definitely happened. Uh, <laughs> there's a current there's a current thing happening in the YouTube world right now uh, with a streamer who who is being accused of that. And there's some evidence indicating that she was doing that. She's really big, though, so I'm not going to say her name because I'm, I'm a young streamer. <laughs> I don't need people coming after me yet. But right. I, And I mean, I don't know the whole situation either. So, But I've, I've heard... I've seen like different stories of people just kind of being shit on because they're a girl and the people on the other end are just thinking like there's no way she's actually playing this. So there's no way she's like actually this good, which is so crazy because like I remember that stupid. I remember that 10 plus years ago. Like I remember playing COD when I was a kid and I had an Xbox and I had a mic. I never used it. Dude, you would have rocked me on COD. I suck at first person (laughs) shooters. I was so good at it. Like at the time I was really good. It was my favorite game. And I think it was uh, Modern Warfare 2 
Yeah. Yeah, oh, I was, I was okay. playing that one. That was one of the few that I put a lot of hours into. I played that so much. I loved it so it was much. so and fun I... to see the buildings actually get destroyed. <gasps> Dude, right? So cool. Oh, it was great. Yeah. And, like, I, I, I was doing really well in the game. I'd be, I'd be, like, at the top of matches all the time, and the only time I got on microphone, I would, like, get somebody really shitty on the other end being like, there's no way you're playing. And then they would boot me. I used to get booted from games all the time. If they saw my gamer tag, they're like, nah, she's a fake gamer. And so there were these other dudes who would invite me instead, <laughs> and they'd be like, you're great, just come and play with us. And I'm like, yeah, but like... Like, what is that argument even trying to get at? You're a fake gamer, <laughs> but like, if you were a dude being a dude that good, it's okay for you to kick their well, asses. That was it, like, right? I was like, what? I don't understand, man. I'm 12. You think I have a guy playing a game for me? I'm in my bedroom. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I'm just a kid. Why you gotta be a dick? But... I know there's there's situations like that where I'm like, I don't really know if I want to be dealing with like communities that might behave that way, Absolutely. especially live. Because I mean, there's I don't no know. reason to put that extra stress in your life. Yeah. And it's also I don't know how I would necessarily react in that moment because there's certain there's certain things like that that would just like really irritate me. <laughs> might be a know. secret trigger. Well, I don't know if it's like a trigger per se, but like. I can get petty sometimes and <laughs> for something like that. I might be a little petty and I just don't want that energy in my stream. That's like not really my thing. You know, like I, I have I have a really good community. I'm a small streamer, but I've made some really good friends. Um, and we I mean, all that's like, like usually where anytime I've watched interviews or a more prominent streamer like interact with their community there's always the people at the beginning that like they form genuine friendships yeah oh yeah oh 100% like this whole weekend my my one friend JP he's in Arizona like we've never met before in real life but he uh he and I have the same artist the one that I uh introduced to you oh yeah, yeah. she made the avatars for our website really yeah. oh my god she's amazing I love her so much she's so talented um, and yeah, like he, he had had her, uh, do some art for him like ages ago. And then he saw that I knew her and he just hit me up one day, he started interacting with me online. And at first, admittedly, at first I was like, I don't know, man, like sometimes like, I don't know if I should trust stranger danger. Right. I had the alarm bells going right. off cause he was really friendly. I was like, I don't know if I should trust this. But then we actually started talking. I'm like, Oh no, this guy's awesome. Like <laughs> he's so nice and wholesome and he was shouting me out all the time. So like he was actually um, like a, a really big community builder for me. Like he he shouts people out at the beginning of his streams, all of his friends, pretty much. So I started doing that because oh, I was like, fantastic. oh, that's really wholesome. Yeah. That's a nice way of like you know honoring the people that you work with and you hang out with and stuff. And they're they're all really good people. Like I I have a really nice little bundle of of streamers, and we play we play a lot of indie games, which is kind of where I think I would I would probably trend towards is like indie games or smaller games. Because right, I think the first time I noticed your stream well actually I, I saw it on Instagram and I was like is that her <laughs> um, I know the wig throws people yeah. off you know <laughs> uh, but you had started streaming to promote Greenhawk Platoon yes. right which is yes. a game of a mutual friend of ours Nick yeah yeah Nick I was actually on the phone with him on my way over here because I was like hey man am I allowed to talk about this I just realized I'm about to go into like an interview I don't know can I can I talk about this game that's not released yet <laughs> And he was on like, Steam and Alpha. Yeah, it is. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. He I'm should like, want okay. the promotion. I keep telling him to get his ass over here to sit yeah. in that chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah, we were talking about it. I was like, dude, I felt so bad. I 
accidentally ignored your message for a month and it was like not intentional at all. I just like don't check Instagram messages very often. That's fair. And I was also building my costumes. So I was like, I mean, every yeah, now that just, I know that you just spent you know, a month and a half like digging into your costume ideas. Like, yeah, it was I feel less bad about it. It's not personal. I am sorry though. <laughs> I have, I felt so bad I mean, when I you saw came back. So there's nothing to apologize <laughs> when for. When I saw the follow up message, I was like, oh man, I'm such an <laughs> asshole. I'm so sorry. <laughs> The thing that I get most self-conscious about is if I like cuz those messages I sent you like they were long, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm I'm trying to give you some back information on mm-hmm. what we're doing. And whenever I send a long message and don't get a reply, I'm like, "What did I say that <laughs> turned them off so no. much?" <laughs> no, you did you did say anything. I just I'm I'm bad at social media. I'm trying to get better. I'm I'm definitely trying to get better, <laughs> but yeah, like we we've been playing. That was actually the reason I got into streaming initially was because of Greenhawk Platoon, and it was because I, I. So was, now it's not the only reason anymore. It's not. No, it's not okay. the only reason. It was the original reason because uh, I was talking to Nick, and I had just built my gaming PC. Like I I bought oh, one. Need an excuse. <laughs> I built yeah I built a gaming PC at the beginning of the year. I finally did it. I dropped the two thousand dollars I had saved away. I was like, I'm gonna do this. Like this is extra money that's not allocated to oh, anything. It feels so good to build that build. <sighs> it was so nice. I did it. I did it by my. I was so proud. I'm like, yeah, I love this. Oh, it's so nice. So nice. And I got to customize it all. It was great. And then like a week after I built it, I saw him post on Facebook that he needed new alpha testers. I was like, yo, this is this is like way too coincidental. I'm going to do it. So I like texted him. I'm like, hey, dude, I saw this. I just built a gaming PC. What do you need from the alpha testers? Like, what are your expectations? And we talked. And so I started playing and I really liked it. Um, and I haven't played an FPS game in a really long time. So it was kind of nice to get back into it in that way with like such a cool, like, I mean, the game is neat. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And I mean, like, I might be biased because the people I'm playing with are all my friends now. But like, it's still it's still really cute. I like it. It's 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 nice because you have um, like, it's not a really gory game. It's definitely going to be marketed to children for the most part. Yeah. But it is he is... making it for his son kind of deal? Like, uh, I've always wondered that because it's about yes. toy soldiers. <laughs> yeah, I think, like... I think the inspiration came from like his cho- like his his son's toys because they do have a bunch of army men and his kid would like play with <laughs> them and stuff. Like he's told me a couple stories about it, but yeah, like I I think he was also um, building like other games at the time, and he was like, you know what, like I really want to build something like this. Yeah, you know, I know. That's- last year at some point. Uh, or it was like literally just before Greenhawk Platoon started to get some traction. He had been working on another series. Yes. Uh, I think he's calling it Project Serious. I don't yes. know if he's changed the name or not. But uh, him and I had been talking over um, like he was getting me on board as a writer for that series. Because oh. I, like, I have a novel series that I work on as That's a hobby exciting. novelist that I'm eventually going to produce <gasps> through my company here. That's exciting. Um, but I just I love stories. I love writing. I love sci-fi and like the tidbits that he gave me at the start I was like I can work with this I've already oh, yeah. got so many ideas it's cool um, and then I like I started to dig into it and started to build some universe behind it and then like almost immediately after he was like so I have this other game that's got a lot of traction <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's had to put Sirius on the back burner and like I've I've gotten some tidbits because I'm, I'm in the inner circle now of the knowledge and like I've gotten some little tidbits of, of demos for it and there's okay. a whole revamp being done for it but oh, cool. it's on the back burner because Greenhog Platoon comes first right, right now like it's it's they're pushing for beta pretty soon which is very exciting because super exciting I, especially because like like I know something that him and I have talked about which is like a 
insecurity that a lot of people with ADHD might have is the ability to finish a project. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> dude. Okay, so something that, that both he and I, like, figured out pretty fast. It was it was fun, actually, because um, when I started streaming, I wasn't working at the time, and I just finished uh, my current semester of uni which I finished in April so I had a couple months there where I wasn't working and I was just working on content and I was trying to like put out YouTube videos every week and stuff we would get on the phone and like give each other updates about what we were doing and that helped us zero in because there was just enough distraction by having a conversation Mm. that we would sit there for like four hours talking and getting our work done but like without that there were days where like sometimes we wouldn't like (laughs) I definitely needed that a lot in university or even like Working, I will find it often a lot easier to work if I'm just like sitting at a table next to someone else who's working. Yeah, I've I've heard um, there's a label for that. It's called body doubling. And um, apparently, okay. I think I personally think that it has something to do with. Um, oh, my God. What is it? It's it's a psychology concept I learned about in my first year. And it and it talks about uh, social. Oh, my God. Basically, being around other people, I don't remember the title, but being around other people helps you to perform better. So the idea with body doubling, I think at least, this is like what I would assume it it works, probably works in the same way, is uh, just being around other people entices you like subconsciously to just do better because you have to perform better. It's, It's kind of like a competitive thing that maybe okay. goes down to our like nature of needing to be better than others to prove that we're the best at the top of the food chain almost like an animal kingdom right. type thing um which to take is that interesting into a super un well it's it's related like from the animal kingdom perspective there's a um do you know the show mansers was out ages ago it was on no. spike tv oh my god of course so, it was on spike yeah. <laughs> so this show what they would do is they would just take the most ridiculous questions like asked by dudes just like oh. thoughts that guys would have when they're hanging out with oh other dudes kind god. of thing right and then answer amazing. these <laughs> yeah they had some pretty pretty fun episodes um but one of them was like that sheer competitiveness is mm. apparently so programmed into us that it's even in sperm so that if like Someone say a woman has sex with two different guys. The second guy's sperm will actually fight harder to compete with the first guy's sperm, and they'll like actually move in and kill the other dude's sperm to try and take the egg instead. I did not know that. Which is like wild that even our like even the sperm are programmed to be killers. I did not (laughs) know that at all. That's actually kind of (laughs) crazy. There is the competitiveness is just that programmed into us, I guess. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. I guess it kind of makes sense for like survival of the fittest and like the Darwinism aspect of it. Oh my God. Right down to like, like that cell, like a cellular level. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh my God. Dude, that actually just blew my mind. (laughs) That show had a few had a few topics like that. Oh my god! If I had animation skills, I would make the funniest animation of just like like a Trojan War happening between like sperm battalions. You can use some of the generative AI tools. Oh my god! Yeah, prompt it with words. Yeah, that would be cool. That was something you were talking to me about, weren't you? That's something you want to like venture um, into. One of the things that the like so as the company builds up, which like. I'm building a set of tools behind the scenes, which I will use to help us make content and then eventually offer to other creators. And the idea is basically that, like, I'm building these tools because, like, I can't afford to hire a team of 50 people to do the things that, like, a studio gives people money for. Right. Right. But I can afford to pay, like, an AI bot 
the compute power of like 50 bucks a month or something to do those things. Um, so essentially I'm using some open source frameworks to build a multi-agent like company okay. that you can use, um, like individual creators can use them for if you want to come up with like a social media marketing plan and like a content posting schedule, uh, it can do like bookkeeping stuff. It can do um, like if you have a software aspect or you want to build your website kind of stuff, it can code for you. That's really handy. Um, and the initial iteration is a film centric niche that we're targeting uh, specifically for indie companies. Okay. And it's going to do the script breakdown for ads at the beginning oh, of prep. Oh wow! Um, so That'll one of the people, yeah, because like the <laughs> the general rule of thumb of is like an hour of breakdown per page of script, which for like a yeah. three hundred page feature, that's a lot of hours. Um, yeah. And like what originally put this idea on my radar was my friend Carl, who's also hosting a podcast under this umbrella called oh, amazing. Uh, What's Your Twenty. <gasps> And it's That's comparing cool. union world to non-union world. Right. You were telling me about yeah. that. Yeah. That uh, sounds really cool. So he came to me with this idea. He was basically like, Ryan, can you make a software for me to do this? I will pay you money for it. And I was like, okay, Carl, <laughs> if you are willing to pay me money for this, then there are a lot of other people <laughs> that are willing to pay us money for this. Because he, like at the time, he was just doing indie gigs. Mm. And if an AD doing indie gigs needs like a value, a software that he's willing to pay a thousand dollars for, there are a, like probably two hundred ADs in the Lower Mainland who would use that 100%. software. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's. Uh, oh my God. What is that? I think it's Synchronize. Is that company that that they already have like a bookkeeping thing of some kind? Synchronize is one of EP softwares. Yeah, yeah. 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 And oh my God. Like my my boss uses one of them. She paid for it, and it's a budget breakdown thing. Mm -hmm. So she just puts in the numbers, and then it does the budgeting for her, which is super helpful. So there's like a huge market for things like that out there. Like that. Yeah. Oh, and and that's actually too, EP is that. one of the. So like, <laughs> EP has like three ish different softwares mm. that they kind of split up. One of them is the budgeting thing. They have uh, the, a scheduling software and then they have like Mood V Magic, which I think yeah. is the first one that you put things yeah, into yeah, for generating yeah. other documents. Yes. And so like the idea is that we take all of those things and all of that is done in our software suite because like effectively what those tools do is they just feed the output from one into the next one. Yeah. And it's it's using like the same information to do all these things, but they make you pay for three different subscriptions. Right. And then for like a large production, like an eight-month project, they can pay like up to 15 grand for the whole, like to have something like 20 seats or something of people using the software. Um, whereas like the software was very clearly designed in like the early, like just before 2010 kind of deal. Yeah, it hasn't been updated yeah, in a long it, time. The workflow is horrible. The user interface, they only reskinned oh, it yeah. last year and it's, it's still bad. bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. The whole EP like website, EP don't come for me, but like your website is brutal. Dude. For how much money they make, it's just unacceptable if, for it to be that bad. If you're trying to like go and look up your pay stubs, try like I wish there was just a button that I could press to download all of the pay stubs. I have to go in individually to download every single one. And if I need a group of them, it is like, Tell me about it. It's like a 45-minute thing <laughs> oh, it to takes get a so whole long. show's worth. Yeah. Because it's individual because their thing doesn't let you select all and then download all. And then, like, oh, so man, simple. if you're working on different shows, you have multiple pay stubs in there, too. Oh. Yeah, it's gross. It's <laughs> gross, man. I had to go in there, like, recently. 
just to like do some bookkeeping stuff, I, I try to like keep track of all of my pay stubs and I was missing a few. So I just went to download them and trying to find them was a hassle. It was it was it was a struggle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even using their like during um, the transition around quarantine, they started to do more things online. But at the start of that, they had a whole bunch of functionality that was available online for U.S. users. And they had links and stuff that would redirect to similar pages for up here. But they like when work, you make right? accounts, yeah, they, they wouldn't yeah. do anything or it would like open you up into this account and it wasn't linked to any of your stuff. And yeah. you're like, this is now my email address is attached to it, but it doesn't have any it of my other do stuff. Yeah. And you won't let me use this email address to link another account. <laughs> so like, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, they need an overhaul. And what what's the deal with us not having digital start packs yet? I right? made one. I it made one. It should not have taken them until COVID to have that happen. That should have been a thing for the last like 10 years. Dude, season, I think it was season two of Nancy Drew. We, at first they weren't sure because of COVID, they weren't really sure when we came back if the ALMs who worked on set were going to be allowed to work in the office at all because office was green zone and oh. ALMs were yellow. So it was like people who work in the office are green. You can't mix green and yellow. And like it was this whole thing. So I was working from home during all my prep, um, which I wasn't going to complain about. Green and yellow. What color is that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Doesn't it turn into like baby vomit? Like color (laughs) green and yellow. Uh, Maybe that's why they didn't want to mix it. That's not a very nice color. It's kind of gross. It's kind of gross. Isn't that blue? Green and yellow. Green and yellow. It might be blue. Am I crazy? I don't know. It like it feels like it should be one of those simple colors, but now for the life of me, I can't. I don't remember color yeah. theory anymore. It's been a long time since preschool. <laughs> Very long time since preschool. <laughs> it's been a really long time. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I got. They sent me. They sent me a start pack. It wasn't digitized. They didn't even make it fillable. They were like, "Yeah, fill this out and email it back." I'm like, "How?" <laughs> I'm like, what the. F- so I sat there for three hours that day and I made a fillable document and I made it so that every time you put your name in, everything that required your name was filled in. So I made the fillable pieces match. That is so I nice. went through it all and then I sent it back to accounting. I was like, here's my filled out start back. Also, here's a start back you can use for the rest of production because Did they use it? Yeah, they did. Okay. They did. I was, I was like, trying to remember if I got a fillable start pack for that season or not. I was like, well, at least for the people in my office, they said that they got it and they were super happy they got it and I was like, yeah, I made that. <laughs> like, I yeah. was like, dude, I could not sit there and try to individually fill out this PDF was... that they had locked. Like, Oh, yeah. It was a locked, locked PDF. It, I couldn't too. even edit it properly. Oh, so I had to like, it was it was a nightmare. There was one that I got. It um it they tried to do the thing where like you put it in in one mm. place and it generates and it in it the other everywhere. places, but they had a bunch of the fields like in the wrong spot. So I would like put in my name and it would enter it as my birthday for bir- something else. Yeah, yeah. I, it, and then you can't fix it because they're linked. Yep. So you're like, how do I fill out this start pack? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I I when I first filled it out, I didn't realize that that's how that worked. Like you could if you copied. Because I thought it'd be faster just to copy and paste my boxes. I didn't realize that that duplicates that specific box. So once I realized that, because I did a test run of the start pack and that happened, I was like, what the fuck? Why is my name under country? This doesn't make any sense. And then I realized why. I was like, oh my God. So I went back and I fixed it. And then I was like, okay, this makes sense. You just, the ones you want to copy, you just copy and paste. And then everything else you have to do individually. And it'll give you a number at the end of how many boxes there are and how many duplicates of those initial boxes. Boxes there are. I don't know if I'm ever going to use it, but that's a great tip. Yeah, it's on Adobe Reader. That was how I did all of that, all through Adobe Reader. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was a nice little thing to learn how to do when I was uh, slow because, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we could all agree in film. You spend a lot of time. There, there's that famous saying uh, for film people. It's hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. You you spend a lot of time doing nothing in film. So much and time. when you're working from home, it was great because I was in my living room on my couch sitting on my computer. So I had three hours to spare. I finished all my paperwork by like noon that morning. Nice. And I was just like, I had the TV on and I was sitting there doing my paperwork. Like That's actually something I hadn't thought about. Because like from my perspective, most of my hurry up and wait, which I guess on my last show was a little bit different because I had a, a very different role. Um, mm. But... As a PA, hurry up and wait usually means that you're stuck in place for however long that you're there, yeah. which is not super fun most no. of the time. But as no. like an office worker, someone that gets to work from home, hurry up and wait's not so bad. No, yeah, it's 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 very different if you're in different parts of parts of the industry. The hurry up and wait thing with the PAs was always just like that was the first thing I learned was, you know, make sure you look busy all the time, even if you're, even if oh, you're not man. busy. And then when you are busy, make sure you get there and do the thing fast. Like, you need to be, like, on it already. Yeah, that you look know? busy thing, I think, is one of the single most, like, mental health detriments in the film. Because yeah, I don't. I don't agree with it unless you've got like executives around and they're wanting to see where their money's going. You know, in that case, they're I not mean, around. But often, even if they but... are, if they think that having to look busy all the time is what they're paying for, then they don't understand the business they're in because they're oh, not true. paying for someone to be busy 15 hours a day. You're paying for someone to be ready in that hour. You need them to move something. Well, I think it's also the biggest thing that really irritates me and like why I don't really do the busy thing like if there is something my whole thing with my team has always been if there's something to do do it and if there's nothing to do like don't be sitting I don't want to see you on your phone all day I don't care if you check your phone I don't care if you're on it occasionally but you're not getting paid to sit on your yeah, phone scroll through Facebook don't watch at the a two-hour podcast on your phone yeah you know like yeah. that's that's a little too much but like you know I don't expect you to pretend to work when there's no work if you are watching something I expect you to watch it and then if you want to check your phone every once in a while I'm not gonna freak out at you and be like you don't have a job if you want to sit down because your legs hurt sit down for 15 minutes and then oh, get that's up. the one that blows you me know, away the like, most is that they didn't used to let people sit down on set yeah. but they make them work 15 plus hours yeah. a day yeah and especially when they didn't let them sit down, the productions tended to be longer because people cared less about health. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, in the 10 years I've worked in film, I've seen a lot of changes. Like, I was in film pre-Harvey Weinstein getting called out for being a garbage can. So, like, things were a little wow. different there, especially being, like, a young chick, I think, in film. It was a little different. And, I mean, like, I was always very comfortable with myself. I never felt, uh, like, insecure or or like threatened by anybody, but I had some weird shit happen to me that would not fly today. Like that would blacklist people now. I bet. I mean, even but... today, there's like you hear stories all the time from like weird interactions that people have, like in a shuttle with the driver yeah, that the, you're like, that's not like, appropriate. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like things have really changed, and they they have changed for the better in a lot of ways. Um, but. Yeah, like, I think there there's certain things when it comes to just the physicality of working in film. Like, I would really like to see, and something I hope to be able to do with my psych degree is to, uh, once I go back to the unions, I want to be like, hey, here's a bunch of mental health things we have to deal with, and here's how you're going to deal with them. Ultimately, I think at the end of the day, like, the film industry does need to change the amount of hours we work. And if they don't want to do that, Absolutely. I think that the next best thing that they need to implement is having counselors for each show designated one day a week to be thought. on site. And I only say that because... 
the amount of stress and hours we do and the isolation we have from our whole lives, we are working with people that are not our family. They are not our friends. They are people we see every day. We are in a high stress environment with like, you know, a lot of expectations. It's mm-hmm. really, really hard work, physically demanding, emotionally demanding and mentally demanding. Absolutely. Other jobs that are on par with that are things like hospital workers, police officers, military. Mm -hmm. They all have counseling. They all have access to some kind of mental health advisor on site. We have helplines. We have helplines and they tell us, hey, use your benefits to get a psych. When am I going to have time to see them? When am I going to have time to go to the dentist Especially, or the doctor? Like, psychiatrists you know? and psychologists typically work like in the nine to five yes. window. Literally, there is not a single job no. in film where you can go nine to five. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. And it's also on the weekends. OK, great. Well, you have to prioritize your mental health. Sure. Yeah, you do. But realistically, film people are not going to have the time to. Most film Mm -hmm. people don't have the time to. And in order to prioritize it, they have to sacrifice a lot of other things like time with family, time with friends, you know, time to take care of themselves, trying to do the laundry. (laughs) Like it's not it's not a realistic like film isn't like other jobs. It's not the same. And I totally different. I think that the way we expect film people to just exist the way they are is kind of unhealthy. And it's and it's going to lead to a lot more like harm and i mean we lose film people all the time and way more frequently than we should for a job that is literally like people playing make-believe all day yeah like and, and it's hard work and there are a lot of good people in the film industry there's a lot of benefit to being in it and creative people but there's i've seen well, a lot yeah, of like people like you said it draws in the most creative it crowd. does yeah and that there is a lot of benefit to it but i think there's also like a bit of a dark underbelly that has yet to be addressed by the unions because it requires real change that people don't want to make because it's going to cost money realistically that's I mean, why that's the hours are as long as they parallel are for the world on the whole is yeah. like we need change, but nobody wants to do it because it's going to cost more money than yeah. they're willing to put into and it. It's, and it's going to change things. People get comfortable with where yeah. they are. And, you know, the the in our case, like the bulk of our money comes from down south. And down south has a very specific way they like to do things. And that's that would be the biggest blockade to real change, I think. I think. I mean, I'm not an expert no, on this I, at this I point. But this agree, is this is the thing I'm, I'm hoping to like. like you their know. economy burps and ours has a heart attack. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, we we rely on it so, so heavily. I mean, we haven't worked. Film hasn't been a thing since, like, May. A lot of people hadn't even worked since January because it was already in a lull because of that time of year. You know, like such a good point. I was very lucky that, like, my show wrapped in March, and I was already planning on not going back to film in that time span. So I got super lucky and fortunate with the timing. But, yeah, like, a lot of people weren't already working at that yeah, point. I know a lot of people that didn't work from January on because they expected um, kind of like the pilot season to come up. Mm. So they're like, I'll take a couple months off. I worked last year really hard, you know. Um, and then I- in Vancouver with living expenses being what they are, mm-hmm. like yeah. it actually like it blows me away. I'm very curious what a lot of people have been doing from the film industry. Like even my barber a couple weeks ago was telling me like, oh yeah, you work in film, right? I've got a bunch of other clients that like they're having a rough time and I was like yeah there hasn't been working like eight months I'm like what are these people doing (laughs) yeah I had uh one of my PAs move to Kelowna because he was like I can't afford to live here if we're not making money and my girlfriend got a job so we're gonna move out that way live better live cheaper you know Mm -hmm. so it was crazy though I felt bad for him he uh he was moving out there during the fires 
Like the oh, weekend no. the fire happened like around the lake and things are getting evacuated. That was the weekend he was moving into Kelowna. His place was fine. He was all good. He ended up moving there still. Like everything was burning, but that part of Kelowna wasn't being evacuated. Everyone else is so. running away and he's yeah, driving he's like, in a U-Haul truck. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he moved away. Um some of my PAs just got normal day jobs. I got a normal day job in August. So, and I mean, I think it's 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 definitely less money, and that that is the biggest part of it is the cost. The I mean, cost of yeah. living here is people very, in film get used expensive. to making a lot of money, and then like you said, like you don't spend it on anything while you're working because you have no time to yep. do anything except for maybe shop online. Yeah, and I I think too because of that because you get a paycheck every week and it's a good sizable amount mm-hmm. of money. I think that a lot of people just get used to like maybe not living lavishly, but not maybe being very smart with how they spend their money. Like on the weekends they'll go out drinking or they'll order out and there you don't realize that that money drinking quite frequently yeah time. oh yeah the substance the substance abuse things in film are, are that's that's like another another psych thing i want to like we could do a whole episode on that <laughs> we probably could i mean like i i'm i'm very i'm in my infancy stages of my education but i've thought about it a lot and that was a driving force behind me wanting to go to school and then return to the industry after it was just like in the 10 years i've worked in film i've known like at least 10 people who've passed away from a mix of mental health issues that have pushed them to the brink and people have developed like drugs drug addictions on film sets didn't have them before but had to turn to cocaine in order to get through weeks of night shoots and And, like that's something that you would think of expecting in the old film industry but a lot of people think that that doesn't really exist anymore because of the way that laws are open it's not out in the open they just go to the two-holer instead and then you notice they're coming out of the two-holer with a bit of white on their nose <laughs> yeah or the baggies i'd find the baggies on oh, set and yeah, i'd be like yeah. man that's sad like and it's and it's it's sucky because it is i do really believe it is a product of the work environment that we work in 100 like, percent. i mean something that someone told me once about using drugs of any sort was that like these people are effectively uh trying to get to a place of functional norm yeah And if you are in a place where you need to take a substance to make you feel like a normal functioning human being, then there's something in your environment that needs to be changed. Yeah, I've I've had friends who are like, yeah, dude, admittedly, like, I'm not proud of myself, but I had a night shoot and for that two weeks, like, every day, I, I needed it to, like, function. I'm not doing it anymore, but that's what I used to keep me going. And I was like... Dude, like when coffee no longer works, something else should be giving here. And like, I think that there's also because film still has like a lot of the older players. I think there's this mentality like there's a hazing culture in film. I think that yeah, I think anyone who's been in film long enough can understand that there is a hazing culture. I've been very fortunate that I haven't had to go through that same thing, but I've seen it like it's not that I haven't seen it. And I think that there's a lot of old mentalities that you just have to toughen up and get through it. But toughening up and getting through things doesn't solve problems. It doesn't deal with the root of an issue. It just pushes it away until it comes back even bigger later. And 100%. now we're seeing a lot of the result of that is we have had, and I think it also, like, and you might agree with this, like when we don't have work for a while and we've been working so hard for so long, at least in my case, I find the only time I have time to actually 
be a person and work on my mental health and my emotional health and just my life and feel feelings like a full range of emotion is when I'm not working. I don't feel like a person most of the time in Very film. Much so. I feel like a robot because I just to have to sweep so much under the rug. Yeah, like you don't have time. You're like, oh, my my mom's in the hospital. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna call her and make sure she's okay. I'm not gonna think about it. I'm not gonna feel anything about mm-hmm. it because I don't have time. I got to do this paperwork. And like a lot of people adapt like that. That's it's it's a normal adaptation, but it's abnormal to have that be your go to all the time, like 24 seven. And I think that's the case yeah. for a lot of us. So I think when we get off work, I think that it 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 kind of causes us to sort of like break down a little bit because. We're, we're faced with our life for the first time in like eight months. You know, everything that you've been ignoring just comes at you and you're like, Yeah, instead oh my of God, processing it as it comes like you normally would or should, you have yeah. to process all of it at once. Yeah, and I think I think that is also a big contributor to some things. Like I, I think that there's a lot of sort of unhealthy mentalities about work ethic in film that need to change. Oh, absolutely. And... There's so many. I mean, like one of the biggest things that I've I've had in conversations with people that come up around like shorter working hours Mm -hmm. is I have a surprising number of people that actually fight back and say that like, no, I don't want shorter working hours because I make less money. That's it. It's all about the money. And like it's sure it's fine and dandy if you want the money from those longer working hours. But like, does that money matter if you have a heart attack at 45? Yeah. Does that money matter if you're not even going to have the time to enjoy it? Does that yeah. money matter if, you know, you're, you've got your glass castle and that's great, but you're not going to get to enjoy it because you're going to die before you get yes. to enjoy it. And the, the flip side of that argument though, like on the, to make the, the studios accountable is like these studios are making more than enough money to be paying us the same rate for an eight hour day. Oh yeah. And there's absolutely no reason besides their greed that they're not. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I could I could I could agree with that. Um, you know, it's 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 the pinnacle of capitalism, right? It's it's all about Gotta, making the most yeah, and maximize the profits at the and the minimize least. expenses. Yeah, and you and you do see that, and that's something that especially during like the initial You see that a lot in film. They really try to do. minimize expenses and they really try to like cut every corner they can. Yeah, you see it a lot in film and it's and it's especially during the beginning of the strike, some of the things that these CEOs of companies were saying, at, at that point, I think it was Bob, was it Bob Iger, who was like, said something along the lines of like, this is a historical deal and they're getting paid more than they're ever going to get paid and something like that. And it, and it was just the tone, the like the audacity of that right? tone to People be like, like, how that? dare Shouldn't you ask for more? Shouldn't even be allowed to be in positions that they are. Yeah, it's like like the, the 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 thing that he was basically saying is like, well, we've never had a deal like this. And I'm like, yeah, that's how that's supposed to go. Every time you go to negotiations, it's supposed to be better than the last time you were there. It's not supposed to mm-hmm. get worse. Every deal should be a historical deal. That shouldn't be a like a, a, a point of like a gold star, you know, like yeah. you didn't do good because you got a historical deal. That's that's what's supposed to that's happen. That's very much been Disney's attitude for a long time is they will just throw their weight around to get the oh, deal yeah. that they want. Oh, yeah. And only just recently in the last few months, they've had a there was a an issue. One of their contracts for I think it was ESPN or something was up and they were trying to renegotiate with one of the cable companies and like for the first time maybe ever but definitely at least in the last like 20 years disney had to give way on a contract and they like they actually (laughs) right like he must have been absolutely pissed because like they ended up um can't remember entirely what it was but 
uh, it was a fight over subscribers and essentially how the network gets paid for like airtime versus streaming. Oh yeah, I, I heard something about this. And like essentially, the the network wanted an amount of money from the content that Disney streams, but Disney like every other streaming service, has been like, no, whatever we make from streaming is ours. Is, and, yeah. like, the streaming wars, like... They didn't want to pay the ro- royalties. The that networks, was like... like, they shot themselves in the foot with these streaming wars because, like, if you have 30 different streaming platforms with everyone's content on only their streaming platform, you're not going to end up with the, the situation where everyone is paying for all 30 of those streaming no. platforms. You're going to end choose. up with, yeah, they're going to pick one or two streaming platforms. Yeah. So you're not making more money off of this. You're making less money off of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you're 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 what you're getting is like on the front end more money of what you think you could, but you're not going to get the best amount. Yeah. Overall. And then you add in the costs of having to put in all the extra work of hosting and maintaining their own streaming platform and like making originals that are just for their streaming platform and yeah, so, like, I was actually so happy when I saw that Disney had to give way on a negotiating contract. Yeah, that's a rarity. Yeah. And on the on the gaming front, Nintendo is also very notorious for being, like, really, really cutthroat. Really? I don't actually know much about Nintendo. Do you have any examples or stories? Uh, I know there's a lot of stories of Nintendo being very, very uh, protective of their intellectual properties to the point where even people just, like, having YouTube videos where they're playing a gameplay, they get it taken down for copyright. Where it's really? like transformative stuff. It's somebody talking about how much they love the game and playing through the game and giving you commentary and, you know, like drawing attention to the game. And then Nintendo's like, nah, we don't like this. Right. Or how or if, dare you advertise for us? Or like even just remixing some of the original beats. Like, let's say there was like a game beat that you really liked or like a song. And then you took it and you remixed it and turned it into a rap. They'll they'll huh. take that. They'll try to get that taken down. Like they're notorious for being really really cutthroat. I'm a little disappointed. I always had a more wholesome vision of Nintendo in my head. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and also, I have a bone to pick with them. <laughs> I have a really big bone <laughs> to pick with them. Okay, I'm I'm a longtime Pokemon fan. Longtime Pokemon fan. I have bought every single. every single Nintendo device just to be able to play the Pokemon games that come out for those devices, okay? So I have a whole collection of Nintendo products. They released, for the Switch, they released Pokemon Shining... I think it was like Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which is a remake of the first DS Pokemon game I ever played, which was Diamond. So I bought Diamond again. I've played the game. I was thinking, man, this is going to be great. Pokemon Arceus Legends came out. It was 3D. It was open world-ish. It was their first attempt. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to play the first Pokemon game I ever played in 3D form. It's going to be great. It was a carbon copy of the DS game from 15 years ago. Nintendo, what are you doing? And it was glitchy as hell. And it was $70. If they were going to just copy and paste it into the Switch, I would have... Ex- it, oh was, God, it was 32-bit. Right? It was 32-bit <laughs> and maybe 64-bit animations. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. You but know it, was, it, it cost them garbage. like $20 at most per game. It was... <laughs> It, it made me so mad. I, I And I held out hope because I love Pokemon so much. I love I love the franchise. I love the characters. I love the Pokemon. I love the games. And I held out hope, and then I got all the way through the game doing the exact same thing I did 15 years ago, and I was like, there's nothing new about this game. 
There was absolutely nothing new. Yeah. 15 years, you thought to re-release a game and didn't add anything? Like, when they re-released um, Ruby and I think it was Sapphire, they or no, was it Gold? Years ago, they re-released some of the games on the DS, and they changed some right. stuff. And I know because I have the originals on the Game Boy Color, and I have the ones I for played, the DS. Uh, I had Sapphire and Emerald. So until oh, yeah, Emerald's good. Like I had the first six games, so like blue, yellow, blue, red, red yellow, and uh, gold, crystal, crystal silver. Yeah. Uh, and then I got Sapphire and Emerald, and then the next one I played, I think, was Pearl. It was either Pearl or Diamond. I can't remember. I think it was Pearl. Uh, and then nothing until Sword. Oh, yeah. And that was, like, similar kind of vibe playing Sword. It was like, okay, this is still Pokemon, and in some ways that feels nice and familiar. Uh, and it's, like, nostalgic in that way. But, it like, for it being almost 10 years after, it doesn't feel like they've changed it enough. It doesn't feel like yeah. they've added enough to it. And, like... This is the number one thing <laughs> that always bugs me. About yeah. Now. So about Pokemon and the Nintendo, <laughs> uh, like the Pokemon company and Nintendo, they have been sitting on probably the single most valuable IP set for an MMO game in human history. That MMO, if it was done, it doesn't even need to be done well. It just needs to be done half right. And it would be the most profitable, highest grossing MMO game with the best retention rate of any MMO ever. Absolutely. And they just decided they don't want money, I guess, and they don't want to give the fans what they want. They just want to keep copy and pasting the old fucking Pokemon games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, I will say, Scarlet and Violet, my favorite hands down. Scarlet and Violet is everything I've ever wanted from a Pokemon game. It is It is open world. It is, I don't have to do the gyms if I don't want to. I don't actually oh, have neat. to do anything in the game if I don't want to. You can start the game, go to a Pokemon Center, go and, and like go to a Pokemart and buy Pokeballs and start catching Pokemon. You do not have to do anything that the game has for you. I might have to you. check that out. It's so much fun. So the first thing I did when I got in game, I did the beginning so that I could get the starter Pokemon. Right. And then I immediately deep Wait, off. you don't even need to get the starting Pokemon? You could hypothetically just walk to a Pokemart and pick huh. up Pokeballs and catch something different if you wanted to. Like, I, I tested it out. That's pretty cool. I tested it out. And, like, there's there's um, randomly generated, um, like, just items that you find all over the map. And they're, they're, they don't, like, disappear. Like, in the old games, you found it. It was gone forever. No, right. they just, they're there all the time. There's a ton of them. And they oh, disappear. Cool. And so you could get a wide range of them. So at the beginning of the game, I ran up a hill. I was like, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to see how open world this really is. Yeah. I immediately ran up a hill, came across a Pokemon, and I found a Pokeball. So I just caught it. I'm like, oh, cool. This is crazy. <laughs> like, I don't even have my starter yet. This is insane. So, like that that game is literally. I know it was super glitchy when it came out, and there's still some glitches, but mm. it's it's everything I've ever wanted from a Pokemon game. But <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> has half baked so many Pokemon games. I think yes. it was was it black and white that was halfway between 2D and 3D animation. Yeah. I hated that. I bought it and then I played it for like an hour and went, this is the worst animation I've ever seen in my life. I'm never playing this again. Like, I, I have couldn't some even friends from it. university that are like super diehard Pokemon fans too and they said similar things. Like the, those <clears throat> games were like, they promised so much but the experience playing them was just not there. I didn't know what the pixels were. I didn't know what I was looking at if I was looking at the face or the arm of a Pokemon. <laughs> I was like, this is 
absolute garbage, just go back. Like, go if this I is can what figure you this can out do, on my Game Boy. No color, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, if this is what you can do, let's go backwards. Let's let's return to the yeah. past because this is bad, man. Or just wait. Don't release it and just put out something that's not half baked. Yes. Or at least give it the the price point that it should be if it is that bad. That's a big know? problem in a lot of like modern gaming companies. The, the idea of pre-sales has ruined the gaming company, the gaming industry, sorry, uh, in the sense that, like, these companies know that they can release something half-finished, and then they just go on this model where they endlessly patch. So they'll release a game yeah. that should probably only cost $20 because it's garbage and half-done, and then they spend the next two and a half years patching it until it's finally the decent playable game that they promised you yep. in the trailer. Yep. Wasn't that a Cyberpunk wasn't oh, that the case Cyberpunk of Cyberpunk? Cyberpunk is definitely the biggest offender they, most recently. They they apparently my friend has been playing it. He was like this is this is everything that was promised originally. Yeah. Now it's been fixed. I have another friend who said the same but thing. It was he released loves in it now. 2018, 2019, like that long ago already. It was a oh hot minute ago. I remember my friend pre-ordering it and being really excited and like 2 weeks after it came oh, out, they were like the high and the low of that. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> dude, I wasn't going to touch it because it it promised so much. And, like, looking at what the trailer was, I was like, I don't think it's going to deliver, man. I'm going to be honest. I didn't yeah. think it was going to deliver. And sure enough, two weeks later, it hadn't been delivering. And they were, like, really disappointed. I'm like, man. One of my favorite YouTube videos that always comes back to my mind is it's actually for Bethesda. But it's um, their head guy. I'm not even actually sure if it's the CEO or just, like, the dude they always mm. had doing their presentation. I can't remember what his name is. But he like they'd have a clip of him like promising the world about a game right and he's like we invented this new light engine and it makes <laughs> the most dynamic lighting effects and we invented the new physics engine that makes everything interactable and then it like cuts to the actual game and this dude is like falling through the floor <laughs> with triangle shaped shadows and it's like uh, yeah. and then it cuts to the song tell me lies tell me sweet little lies and, yeah oh, that's just accurate. beautiful that's, that's definitely the same of nintendo i literally fell through the map in pokemon at one point <laughs> and i was like Ooh. <laughs> or like in, in yeah in diamond and pearl on the remake of that i was like in the underground which i was really excited for because the underground with diamond i don't know if you remember this but you could mine you could drop down underneath uh underneath every single town in Sinnoh and you could run through the halls with your friends. You could connect your DSs. Oh, yeah, And you could yeah. go to each other's bases. You could find rare items, fossils. That's how you found fossils right. in game. Yeah. It was this whole thing. It was like, it was my favorite part of that game. And I went into the into the underground and it was so glitchy. It was <laughs> so broken. There were Pokemon walking through walls, spinning around in circles, straight up disappearing. I'd find rare Pokemon that I'm like, oh my God, I need to catch that. Because they, they had a feature where some of them, you would actually see them. Like you'd see them running yeah. around around so i i like ran at one and then the game froze <laughs> and it froze for like 30 minutes and i was like i haven't saved in so long i don't want to oh, like oh man that i don't was... want to close it i was just holding out for hope that's one of the biggest like traumatized or like fears <laughs> of a child like how many times how have i been playing like no when was the last time like, i saved? why did it break why is it broken <laughs> why did my batteries die <laughs> oh dude oh my god yeah and like uh <laughs> Scarlet and Violet has an autosave function, and thank God they do, because Pokemon I... needed that, like, 
15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it did. Oh my God, it did. I got into the habit because I had a few occasions where like my DS just, I don't know. I mean, you only lose eight whatever. hours of gameplay once or twice before you start saving every hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or after every important milestone is what I yeah. would do. I was like, okay. Just caught a Pokemon you like, saving the game. Just beat a gym leader, yes. saving the game. Yes, every <laughs> single time. It was like, I need to save because I would be devastated yeah. <laughs> if this fell apart right now. Like, oh my God. There was a sequence at one point when I was in the Safari Zone where I saved like probably 16 times in a minute because it was just yeah. like, I caught a bunch of Pokemon that I wanted like back to back to back. And it just felt like at that point compulsive. Like it had started an OCD thing into me mm. where like, Event happens, have to save. Yeah, you just get into, like, the rhythm of it. Yeah. Which is also funny, because I don't know if you ever did this, but um, I I was really into getting really specific Pokemon early on in the games, because I, mm. I was adamant that, like, it's easier to raise a Pokemon from when it's young. Yeah. Um, well, and then you like, get to train it the moveset you want. They yes. learn different moves depending on yes. when you get them and how they level. Yeah, so, like, I always liked to train my Pokemon from when they were, like, level, like, four or five. And in some of the games... I don't remember which one offhand, but there was one where when you exit out and you take a left, there's a path and you can find Ralts. And I wanted to find a shiny Ralts. Oh man. It was one I of the Game Ralts. Boy games. So I just kept restarting the game. <laughs> I did it probably about 200 times and I finally got a shiny Ralts. I did it nice. until I got a shiny Ralts, oh basically. God. And then I started my game and I played through and I was like so stoked to get a Gardevoir. And when it evolved, it evolved into uh, the, the other version because there's, there's Gardevoir, which has the dress. Yeah. And then um, Can't there's. I remember the other one's name. Oh my God. Ga Gallade? I think it's Gallade. He's got he's got swords. It's like a dude. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's like a, a feminine version and a masculine version. And I got a Gallade and I was really chapped about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't do anything about it. I'd already saved. I'm like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh bringing back so many memories. Oh, dude, right. <laughs> I know. I uh, I think I think about my my old childhood video games all the time now that I play games so much. Like as much of the time that I have now is pretty I much I mean, just and that's video what games. Nintendo has it's so powerful is that nostalgia effect, right? Like Yeah. Companies kind of recently in the last 10 years-ish have started to recognize how powerful mm -hmm. it is to bank on millennials' nostalgia. Yeah. But it's kind of surprising that not more companies have done it. Um, but what's even more surprising is that, like, Nintendo, despite the fact that they sit on this goldmine of it, still doesn't seem to understand how to do it properly. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I think they're just so used to it making them money for as long as it had. I mean, I mean like, I'm not, that's I'm not a business person, the so cash I don't really cow know, thing. But... Like, a lot of companies, incumbent companies, end up getting so complacent with their products because of that, right? Like, yeah. it ain't broke. Why fix it? It's been yeah. making us millions or billions of dollars for the last 20 years, so it's going to keep making us yeah, millions or I billions mean, of dollars. I'm the schmuck that keeps buying the products, too. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I've fallen for it. I'm in I'm in the rabbit hole. I'm in the middle of the pit. So I'm, I'm not crawling my way out of this. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Pokemon's mm -hmm. a forever thing now, I think. I mean, absolutely. I like I have two Pikachu plushies upstairs. Do you really? <laughs> I have I have a Pikachu plush too. I have a Pikachu plush and I I have um 
I have a Pikachu onesie at home too. Oh, actually, which... you know what? I'm wearing a Gengar shirt no way! right now. Oh my god, and you're wearing purple pants. Yeah. Yo, that's awesome. <laughs> I wear I wear my Pikachu onesie uh during my like Terra Tuesday streams every once in a while when I'm playing horror Terra games. Terra Tuesday, Pikachu yeah. onesie of safety. Yeah, exactly. It's my safety net. I put the little ears up. I have that and I've got a, a froggy hoodie. So it's it's just a frog head. It's got its eyes and I put the the hood up so, so that you Tuesday can see is it. always scary streams. Yeah, I do horror games on Tuesdays, and uh, Monday is like a variety stream. I currently stream on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays. Fridays is Greenhawk Day. Okay. If Greenhawk isn't available, just because, like, since it's only alpha testers, I'm kind of at the whims of whenever the alpha testers are online and available. We're normally pretty good. We can normally get a couple people on, but um, sometimes those gameplay or like test plays are a little bit shorter because there's only three people you can only play the same map so many times yeah. you know so how many maps does he have we have we have three at the moment um so there's the kitchen map there's the uh classroom map and dad's workshop which is the newest map okay. um that one that one's probably my favorite because it involves a lot of explosions it's <laughs> a it's a capture the flag type map you have to go and you have to detonate bombs okay. um so cool. one team is going and trying to detonate the other team has 20 minutes to make sure that at least one of their bombs hasn't been detonated and you have to do them in a certain order as well so you can't just go and detonate all of them at once it's like two of them have to be detonated and then the other two unlock how many people are supposed to be on each team um you can max right now the maximum amount of people in each area is like 20 so i think 10 in each team i don't remember if it's 20 total per teams but I, i think it's 20 total in the in the map right okay um but we we've had I think a max of like twelve people in one, at once. I think we we did that like recently. We had a huge play test. It was so fun. Oh my god, it was so nice. I love the game regardless, but it's different when you've got a ton of people playing. I mean, yeah, that's definitely one of the things like that was so magical about Battlefield Bad Company, or like when Battlefield Three came out because they expanded Bad Company's maps were like thirty two per side, and then. Battlefield 3 was like 64 per side on the biggest ones or something like that, which was insane. And it actually like it made a lot of people's computers not handle the game super well. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, But yeah, just like the sheer zaniness of what happens when you have 32 people on either team and a completely destructible environment. Yeah. Like... You just see some of the wildest things sometimes. I'm just imagining like my computer fans just going so hard just the explosions like have you ever seen uh people create these crazy big explosions in minecraft and their computer just starts like freezing and you just see bits and pieces pop up like it just totally <laughs> haven't actually the... seen that i oh, have the God. uh the unpopular opinion of not liking minecraft no? very much i i find it a bit of an affront to modern computer graphics interesting I, okay like, how I do you feel about what runescape <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> RuneScape was one of my first massive addiction games. Okay. So, yeah. like, in terms of games I've been addicted to, the first one was RuneScape. Actually, the first one was Zelda Ocarina of Time. Okay. Uh, if we're not counting the Pokemon Game Boy games, because gotcha. I put a lot of time into those. Yeah, yeah, let's just uh, put yeah. those aside. <laughs> uh, RuneScape turned into League of Legends mm. in university. Did you ever do World of Warcraft? Did you take that stepping stone, or did no, you like? No, I it? I have played it a few times. I got characters to like level twenty or something. Yeah, and, and then and then you have to pay. And yeah, yeah. Um, and from 
League of Legends, I went to a little bit of Overwatch. Um, There was like a, I think it was about one semester, maybe two semesters of school. I I transitioned from League of Legends into Overwatch, as many of my friends did in engineering. Uh, And then I didn't really play games again until a, a bit of Heroes of the Storm, which is like, wow's version or blizzard's version of league of legends uh how was that it's neat in the sense that it's a lot more um approachable interesting like the community in it isn't as extreme as the league of legends community. oh that's interesting and the game is designed to be a little more fast-paced so the games are shorter and each of the maps there's several different maps so it's not just all the same like three lane kind of thing right and each of them has a mechanic built in that makes the game faster. So, like, okay. one of them, they'll have, like, warheads that pop out. And each your team members can go collect the warheads. And you can drop those on the enemy oh, towers okay. to, like, destroy them faster. Or some of them, you, like, capture the flag and it shoots a bunch of things at the enemy nexus to do damage to it kind of thing. Um, and then besides that, it was Sekiro during quarantine. I got really into Sekiro and Dark Souls 3. Really- Good. Um, Sekiro is the only FromSoft game I beat. It was the first FromSoft game I played. Uh, and I can't tell you how much like fulfillment it gave me <laughs> to complete a FromSoft game as the first FromSoft game I played. And also the game was just a masterpiece. Like the story is the so gameplay. compelling. The gameplay is like even compared to... Um, Every other FromSoft game that I have played or seen gameplay of, it is fluid and smooth in a way that, like, for the combat, that the other ones aren't. Because, like, the whole thing is, like, it's supposed to be a duel between master swordsmen, right? Right. So the sword movement is incredibly fluid, it's incredibly fast, and it's all built on timing. And when you compare that to, like, Dark Souls 3, which I went and played afterwards... Yeah, there's a parry mechanic, but you have to be so specific with mm. the parry timing in the sense that, like, the parry timing is different for each enemy and for each weapon that each enemy has. Oh, wow. And there's a bunch of different mechanics that make it extremely difficult to parry in Dark Souls. Whereas in Sekiro, because parrying is, like, a core mechanic of the game, like, you literally almost can't finish the game if you don't parry. Um, so there's a little bit wow. of a more forgiving... Uh, aspect to the parrying in Sekiro. Okay. Uh, But it's also incredibly specifically timed in the sense that, like, you have to parry so that your sword is in the air while their sword is striking you, which seems like it's a smaller window to work with than in Dark Souls, but once you get used to it, it's actually way easier to do. Jesus, okay. Um, And, yeah, it just, like, it makes you feel like you have actually developed, like, further skills and hand-eye coordination in finishing it. That's because crazy. of how difficult the sword like combat system is against that's some nice of the enemies. That's nice though. Yeah, you, you, I can see where that sense of fulfillment then comes from. Is like, oh man, like look at all the things I learned in order to complete this. And Especially because like, you start way down here in FromSoft yeah. games, right? Like you're ab- actual garbage, and then you're like, I can't beat a single boss. And then 14 <laughs> hours later, you're like, all Duck right, I finally you're just beat a rolling boss. Rolling around the bosses constantly yeah. in a cycle of like, <laughs> can I attack it? And then you roll around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but like since that, that's kind of the last game that I played. But RuneScape, uh, to pull that back to Minecraft versus RuneScape, RuneScape was the first game that I kind of fell in love really with. Really got into. Uh, I got membership as a birthday present from my grandparents a couple oh, years nice. in a row. 
but graphics wise, it's I mean, they haven't honestly, really changed. I, no, it hasn't changed. No. And the funniest part about that is that you can play it on your phone now. And it's like the exact same graphics. Yeah, it's weird. Um, it's weird. I saw that. My friend has it on his phone. I was like, <laughs> wow. I used to have that on my computer. My computer would lag, dude. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Right? Yeah. Um, but I, the, the graphics still feel less offensive to me than or than Minecraft for some reason. But, that like, not to say I can't appreciate what you can do in minecraft mm. because the fact that you can build like a computer out of nothing or like these massive explosions or like a falling domino skit kind of thing like yeah you can do anything that your imagination can conceive of the library of alexandria is in minecraft somebody built the library of alexandria and has filled it with actual books like, like you can access real archived Holy books. Shit. I'm not even. Some of these Minecrafters are absolutely insane, dude. They're, they're, and it's really cool, but it's like absolutely insane. Some of the things people have done in game there. Like, I haven't played Minecraft in a long time, but that's one of the other things that gets to me about it, though. Is like, if these people had put that time and effort into actually making something that could apply to like <laughs> greater society. Cancer would have been cured like 10 years ago. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right about that. You're probably right about that. Honestly, the way we live is probably a good chunk of how and why cancer is so prevalent, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. I think I think we just need to deal with like like the way that we eat and probably the, the things we consume and the things in our environment. The things we consume is the biggest it. one, I feel. Because like yeah. pretty much for the last 50 years, maybe 60-ish years... America, the world has let America pump basically plastic into us through food. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And I mean, like, I think you and I have talked a little bit about some of the health stuff I've been dealing with is like all related to food. I have to like I have to eat very specific, super foods, specific diet and pretty much everything that I buy. I like I've had to go kind of the organic route because I find that I genuinely end up sick if I don't. My cousin is like, like that, too. Like if she eats anything that isn't organic, like it's like the Pepsi taste. Like she doesn't need to see it. If she eats it. Yeah. She will immediately know if it's like inorganic, if it's got any gluten cross mm. contamination, if it's got dairy in it. Like her body tells her immediately because yeah. it just won't take it. See, mine, mine, like I. I unfortunately don't have that skill. I have to wait until it's already too late and then I just have to suffer through it, which oh, really no. sucks. It's like yeah. it's it's once it starts to digest because my problem is all related to digestion. They don't know what it is, but like I have digestive issues too, I understand. Yeah, it's not it's not fun and like it's so painful. I was reading that people with ADHD have a higher rate of digestive issues. I've heard this too. I've heard this. And like my family history is also kind of messy. Like there's a lot of diabetes in my family. My aunt has Crohn's and colitis, which is all digestive problems. Like mm. it's all it's all in that system. I've been healthy my whole life, so it's weird that like in the last year I've developed problems, but makes you appreciate the healthy years. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'm like, man, that Charleston shoe and that Red Bull to the top of that mountain. I cannot believe I oh, did dude. that. In you high know? school, I used to, every day at lunch in grade 11, I would walk to Max with my first friend in Quinnell 
and we would get a Slurpee and a Mars bar as yeah. our lunch for like a whole year. Yeah, I, I used to do something similar. I uh, I would go to London Drugs around the corner from my high school and I would buy a tall Arizona uh, honey oh, ginseng 99 cents, man. Those things cents. couldn't beat the deal. And I'd get an Aero chocolate bar for a dollar. Two bucks. Boom. That Oof. was my lunch. It was great. And like there's something about that. that All the calories chocolate. you need, none of the nutrition. 100%. 100%. But there was, also, there was also a sushi place across the street. They made these giant sushi rolls i'm not even joking Holy when i say shit. that that's how big the sushi like roll was yeah you would order you would get four but four is like the equivalent of eight at any yeah. other sushi place so i would i would call them ahead and i'd get california rolls it got to the point that i was there so frequently that they had my stuff ready for me <laughs> i wouldn't even call them anymore they're like we know she comes here on tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays my uncle had that with seven uh not 7-eleven uh subway for a oh, while yeah yeah picking up his lunch before going to they the just bush. like had it ready <laughs> yeah it's like six fifteen every morning here's a sandwich at the till <laughs> wow i remember i got really into booster juice i went on a health kick which is ironic because it's booster juice booster aren't you on a health kick now i am so would that count as a health kick or like was that the precursor this is the precursor to... this is like i i guess this is this was uh like 2019 i think i was uh, or no maybe it was 2020 it was after it was just after covid covid and... definitely made me start eating healthier like just yeah. like being in the house for so long and not being active your body like reacts even worse to the bad food yeah it does and i also like i had this little challenge for myself i decided that because I needed mental challenge during COVID. I wasn't, there wasn't enough happening. So mm -hmm. I like took some courses. I took like a criminology course and like a bunch of stuff. And then I was like, I'm going to challenge myself to only go grocery shopping when I'm out of everything that I could eat. So I would mm. do like, I started making these really crazy dishes that were just like smatterings of different things. And it was really cool because that's creativity like, at work right there. Yeah. It was like trial and error. And I learned how to use different foods and different spices and stuff to make something that maybe isn't your standard dish but tasted good and had all of the nutrition you would need for that meal you know that maybe had a grain in it like rice or like you know right yeah. i was so into spam fried rice i made it so many <laughs> different ways I, oh so many every different time ways. i see spam i think who uses this and for what <laughs> dude you know what i thought the same thing and then you, you could go into a dollar store here's the crazy thing you could go into a dollar store and buy spam and it's and I've seen it it's in just the dollar store, and you know, I still wonder who buys it. It's like, not something you should eat all the time. Is it more or less trustworthy to buy spam from a dollar store? Because like spam seems like the perfect food no for difference. a dollar store. Yeah, I, yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> Have you been into a dollar store lately? Have you been to Dollarama lately? Mm, the last time was in the summer sometime. Okay. The Dollarama where I live, by like, like in the North Vancouver area, um, it... It's like a Walmart super center of dollar stores. They sell wow, bread. Fancy. They sell bread? Italian bread. Shit. The bread <laughs> that they sell, you could go around the corner to Park in Tilford because there's a Dollarama next to the Marks over there off of Main Street. If you go to that Dollarama, they sell bread that if you go to Save on Foods around the corner is $8 per loaf. You get it for $3 there. They sell Do you think they and get it from that Safeway, like their leftover stuff that I wonder. they can't sell? I don't know because all the stuff is it's it's not expired and it's not about to expire either. So it's it's weird. Like huh. I don't know. I think they just distribute differently because they assume the people going to Save On are not buying from the dollar store at the same for groceries. I mean, yeah, that's probably 
pretty decent argument there is that like if someone is shopping at Safeway, the odds of them shopping in a dollar store are probably not yeah, as high. Yeah, but I think it's kind of funny because in that neighborhood, there's Savon, there's Stong's, Superstore, Stong's? and Walmart down the way. So everything what is, is Stong's. Stong- oh, okay. So Stong's is a little bit more expensive, but it's like the health conscious version of it's 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 like um choices. Okay. If you've ever been to Choices, it's it's like Choices. So they have like a lot more healthier options, but it's more expensive. Gotcha. It's very expensive. I only go I mean, there for really yeah. specific things, like like flowers that I can't find anywhere else. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're they're quite expensive. But they've got a lot of really good options for especially people who are either really health conscious, looking for organic foods, or looking right. for um, alternative foods because of like dietary problems like in my case so i go there for a handful of really specific things and then everything else i do like a smattering of going to the butcher shop for all my meat now because i've learned that the meat from i've had a few friends that have transitioned to getting their meat only from butcher shops and like it i understand why and i feel like i should maybe also transition it's it actually turns out to be less expensive at least in my case it's less expensive because i can buy more meat and it's it's pretty much at like a wholesale cost At least at my butcher shop. I can't speak for, obviously, all butcher shops and areas. But, like, the Save-On Foods around the corner is okay. But the meat is not great. And if you go five minutes up the road, there's a butcher shop. And that butcher shop is way better. Big box stores. No. And, like, some of it's it's weird. You'll find meat that's, like, in the same area. Same, same, um, like, best before date. It has the same label on its packaging. It'll say like AAA beef or whatever. One of it's brown and the other one's red as blood. And I'm like, what is this? Something's not right here. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I don't I don't know what, what, like, should I, I don't know which one I'm supposed to pick here. Should I pick the very red one that's like suspiciously red? Right? Or should I pick like, the one that looks like it had all the blood drained? Is this full dye or yeah, is like... this one going bad? <laughs> no, I'm like, I don't know. And I've, I've looked at it so many times where I pick up the packages. I'm like, these came from the same place. The packaging is the same. Why is it so different? And it's the same cut. It's not like it's different cuts of meat either. It's yeah. like, this is a T-bone steak and this is a T-bone steak. Why is one brown and the other one's red? They came from the same place with the same date i don't understand it'd be like if you looked at uh like on set you compare the video footage of a set like from the camera footage that they shoot for the show Mm. and then you take some like behind the scene pictures of it and you see all of the like basically the fact that the set is held together with staples because that's what (laughs) like carpentry is in the film world right oh my god yeah (laughs) like when people don't realize that it's just a wall panel and you could pull it off anytime with three people if you want to (laughs) or like a good one is someone leans on a wall in a stage and and just like goes right through it yeah (laughs) oh dude that reminds me nancy drew we had we had that the the god-awful the claw set beautiful set amazing set they recreated it for nancy drew it looks amazing they made real ceilings which is not common in sets. You don't typically Super put a uncommon. real yeah. ceiling, but our sets had real ceilings. You could take panels out, but I don't remember what the reason was, but I remember we were all like, this is an interesting choice. Uh, and and it was because it like superheated the, the stage, the sets themselves, because the heat would like from the lights going through the windows, you, ha- you couldn't light uh... from above. And like the way that lighting had to be done was very, I mean, it was, it was standard stuff that any lighting team can do yeah. because 
they're used to filming, you know, in places that aren't stages. Oh, lighting teams can do wild know? things. Oh, they can. They really can. Like, super, super talented people. But it was it was just a really interesting choice. Uh, and it made, it made a lot of things really difficult. Like, for example, us trying to get a C-line into the building was incredibly <laughs> difficult because the ceilings were real. So we had to actually run it through the vents. The fake vents in the ceilings. <laughs> we had to, like, get construction to help us build a thing to run our line into it, which reduced the heat or the cooling aspect because we were sending cold air up into the hot air and right. then across the ceiling because you couldn't put it anywhere else. Preconditioning the nice cool air. <laughs> yeah, we were like, it was it was such a it was such a nightmare for locations, but like it was it was a really cool set. It looked really cool at the end of it. It was they wanted it to be real buildings, basically. Mm. Feels a little more authentic. I mean, you yeah. definitely can feel that in some, like, I, I guess this is, again, looking at it from someone who has worked in film, now watching things you can't unsee, is like, now that you know what carpentry looks like on a film set, it's easier to tell if a set feels legitimate, like they used yeah. a building, or if it's a set in a stage. Yeah. Like, which is... It ruins it a little bit sometimes, especially for shows that are all shot on stage, mm. like The Ranch. Like, that whole thing is shot in studio. Really? But you can, like, the more you look at it, the more you see that, like, these very much are, like, sets in a studio. Mm -hmm. um, whereas it feels weird because, like, so many of the shots are supposed to be them outside, like, in the front of a house or something, right? But you're like, I'm pretty sure this is inside a studio right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My thing is always the echo in the room, which is something they uh... can, like, especially with older houses. Older houses, you can almost never get away with not having an echo in a real older house. But in a fake Ooh. older house... The now sound that you put better. my brain on that, I'm going to be tuned to listen to it every time I watch something. I know because I lived in an old <laughs> house and it was it was not a big house, but it was just echoey. Like it's just the way that a lot of those old buildings are constructed. I, I can't tell you the specifics of how. Oh. I don't know the jargon, but every old old home I've ever been into, like you talk and you hear a, a light echo. It's not loud. It's not like crazy, but you hear it. You can hear your voice bouncing off the walls in the corners. But I can definitely think of... Like, a lot of the character houses that I've worked in in film that are the older ones, I can definitely, like, think back and remember they were more echoey. And that even the with like sound departments in. are, like, way more on it at those places, yeah. too, about the crews being quiet. Yeah. they Well, they have to be, yeah, because it, you don't realize it at the time until you're like, oh, wow, I heard my echo from whispering, like— that's that's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it's just—I think a lot of those old buildings, too, they, they have— um, I don't know if this is accurate. Maybe your sound guy can tell us. But, like, <laughs> I think just the shape of the roof helps to, like, bounce the sound in a really weird way. Oh, uh, that I might be sense. crazy. Yeah. I might be crazy. You can correct me. <laughs> 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 I don't remember exactly. I remember learning about sound at one point. And there was something about, like, the curves of things impacting how sound travels. Like, that's why our ears are curved the way they are, because it, it optimizes the way sound enters okay. your ear canal into your eardrum. I mean, that's also part of the reason why, like, conch shells make noise, too, like the way that they're curved, right? Yeah. It's also why certain piercings in your ears are a really bad idea because they impact your, like, hearing. Do you know that teacher. from experience, or did you just learn <laughs> no, that? No, in my case, okay. not. All of, all of my piercings, I never pierced inside of the ear. I always did outside piercings. Like, I, I, have, uh, I have, like, the helix piercings and stuff, which are okay. just on the edge, which supposedly does impact your hearing a little bit. I'm sure it has, but I mean, I'm also like, sorry, I'm also like half deaf in my right ear anyways. So <laughs> it's not nothing I really notice. 
What made you half deaf in your ear? Uh, a mix of listening to a lot of really loud music uh, for a long time, and also I've had several concussions, and it kind of like it was oh, one shit. of the the yeah like one of the after effects I noticed. I always have had a ringing in my right ear since like the first car accident I was in that gave me a concussion. I was in a lot of car accidents as a kid, so I had quite a few concussions. Um, as a kid too. Yeah, Jesus. I... yeah. We 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 had a couple of accidents. Uh, I was in one. And, like, that felt traumatizing enough as a kid. <laughs> I don't even remember most of them. I got, I got, I got scalped, eh? What? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, like, I have a scar that goes from here, and it goes all the way up there. I had to have reconstructive plastic surgery at 10. Holy shit. And we, we, uh, there was a car, my dad and this car on the other side, they were, uh, speeding, going down just like a country road in Fort Langley. So there's farms on either side, right. single lane, both sides. They're both speeding. This guy slightly merged over. Apparently the story goes, this guy slightly merged in. My dad didn't notice because he had dropped a water bottle under the seat and he was trying to grab it while driving. And he didn't have the ability to like turn. And because of the speed, they both crashed and we drove into the ditch. And I was in the middle Holy of the middle shit. row of a minivan. So my head went right into the middle console between the two driver's Ooh. seats. And it just split me right open. So, like, I don't oh, remember man. really any of it. But what I do remember is this absolute legend. Uh, I don't know his name. I'll never know his name. But he he pulled me out because the car was totaled. My dad was crunched in the front. My brother was in the back seat. Like, he was fine. But, you know, everyone's shaking. I'm bleeding. Like, I could taste the blood. It was all over my face. I remember some guy pulling me out of the accident, carrying me and, like, lying me down on someone's driveway with a towel over my head. And some lady came over and was like, what can I do to help? He's like, we need to get her more blankets. We need to get her this stuff. And she goes, what happened? And like, what did you do? And this guy was like, I, I don't know. Like she, she just, they, they were in this accident. I went to help. And she's like, did you just pull that kid out of a, out of a, an accident? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I did. You want to go get dinner sometime? <laughs> and I'm sitting there what? and I'm just like, I'm like concussed. <laughs> I'm bleeding. But I was like, you can't say no to this guy. Like this guy yeah. just saved a child out of a huge car wreck. And he's asking you out. Like Phoenix you cannot plays say. the wingman. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, go for it, bud. <laughs> like, wow. What a legend. Like pulls a bleeding child out of and an accident. Like as you're telling this story in my head, I'm kind of comparing it to it. It feels like a scene from a show or a movie or something, right? <laughs> right? Like car accident. <laughs> Concerned citizen pulls over, Runs is dragging over. people out yep. of the car. But then just like, we might need to put that in a movie. Dude, uh, <laughs> oh my God, I would love to see that in a movie. The, the, you got you to gotta capitalize on my trauma somehow. Right? <laughs> you can capitalize on your trauma. You write the script. You're a creative person. Have you yeah, ever was, done any writing? Uh, I do sometimes. I actually just, just got back into it because uh, I've been listening to my favorite podcast of lately, which mm -hmm. is uh, Dr. No Sleep. He does horror podcasts. There, there. It's it's kind of less of a podcast and more like an audiobook, but okay. it's called a podcast. I don't know why. It's not a discussion. I've read some but... like Reddit no sleep posts. Oh yeah, yeah. He he does a lot of. I mean, lately he's been doing a lot of stuff related to like SCP stories. If you've ever heard SCP. of SCP, no. okay. So SCP is wow. It's it's such a rabbit hole, but essentially it's a bunch of um, 
like monsters. They're labeled SCPs. I don't remember what an SCP like stands for, but it's essentially like the equivalent of of unknown things that are going on okay. in the world. And it's not real. It's 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 all fiction. But there's like hundreds of these SCPs, and they're all different monsters that do different things. So there's right. this lore about an SCP Foundation, which is like a deep underground government organization that sends people out to deal with these SCPs. Of so, course, just like the Men in Black. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty much that, but it's like a lot of occult stuff. And the SCPs are just things they don't understand. They don't know how they work. They don't know how they function. They don't know what they want, but they might understand certain aspects of how they work and try to contain them is basically the idea. So he's been doing a lot of stories related to like the scp stories and writing them and stuff and i've been listening to those nonstop for two weeks so i've started writing okay. short horror stories <laughs> short horror lately horror is hard to write because yeah. like in video format you have an audio track you can use to help set the mood and you have lighting yep. and you have like the effect of what you're not showing on screen yes. kind of thing right but in a book or written format it like you have to deliver suspense without, like, how do you create suspense Yeah, in a way where, like, you can't give away too much about the thing that's happening no. because then it's not suspenseful. But if you don't give away enough, then it's just then slow. Nobody's gonna, yeah, nobody's going to be drawn in. So it's it's so yeah. hard for pacing, especially. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm any good at it. I'm certainly not a uh, professional or any good at this I'm, point. But, like, the way I've been writing it. your stories are fantastic. Have you shared them with anyone yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can... I just I just started writing them like in the last probably two weeks again. I since you've had more time being done with your costumes. Yeah, more or less. Um, and I mean, like there, I've had some ideas. Like I I sent Nick at one point. Um, he wanted to animate a nightmare I had because one of the uh, pros of having very light PTSD from all the car accidents I've had is I catastrophize a lot in my head. I don't act in a catastrophizing way, but I see a lot of potential scenarios. Scenarios that don't actually exist. Like, I mean, that taking displays one step... a certain amount of mental fortitude to be able to process that you are catastrophizing in your head, but not let it affect your oh, external. Yeah. I mean, it's been so state. long. It's been like most of my life. You know, I had my first accidents when I was really young. So, like, it was, you know, I've had a lot of time to adapt and like <laughs> make my peace with it. But okay. one of the, the drawbacks is I'm very prone to um, night terrors, and I, ha I mm. tend to have them, like, almost every night, which I'm used to now. Like, it doesn't freak me out, but, you know, you wake up sweating, and you're like, whatever. I've, I've gotten really good at being able to write my my uh, nightmares oh, okay. down. Okay, dream journal. Do you keep one right next to your bed? Uh, not quite right next to my bed right now. Actually, it's been my phone for the last little while because okay. it's easier. Like, So you wake up, sweat, grab and my then phone and just type on your phone, wake yourself up a whole bunch looking at your phone screen. Yeah, and then I try <laughs> to fall back asleep. But I mean, you know, after a night tower, you're, you're not going to fall asleep right away anyways. Fair, that's um, a good point. But yeah, I've started, I, I started doing that a little while ago and uh, I, I had one nightmare that was like so crazy because it was a turning point nightmare for me where I actually like defeated the monster. I don't normally defeat the monsters okay, in the nightmares, okay. but I, and this is very gory, so I don't know if you have to bleep this out, but um, I, I had to like smash the skull of this monster with my fists. With and it was, fists. yeah, with like, I, I could literally like, Oof. It was it was so insane. This thing ate my little brother though, so I needed to get I needed to get. I mean, my that revenge. deserves was, face smashing. If anything, yeah, deserves I was face very smashing. mad at it. But I I sent him like a storyboard of the images of what I went through, and he was you like, draw? I want to, kind of like I mean, I do some drawing, but not not 
a substantial amount, definitely not a lot lately. But like, I do have that storyboard. If you want to see it, I could send it to you. I would you love to see it because yeah. yeah. And I sent him the breakdown of what happened, and he was like, "I don't have the time to deal with this right now." But like, <laughs> this is a crazy, crazy story. You should make this into something. I'm like, I don't have the skills to do that, but I thought it would be kind of cool to like revamp some of my nightmares and like try to edit them a bit so that they're a little bit more like palatable for reading because mm. most of it is just quick jumbled writing because you're half asleep so I have to like go through and edit them but I thought I have it'd be an cool ideas to... journal from like leftover dream tidbits that I will oh, yeah? someday turn into either short stories or novels too see because like the the human mind especially in the subconscious state like is so fascinating oh, and, it, so and it does fascinating. such cool things and like I, I think now that I'm like learning about psychology more I think like the dreamscape is just so so cool so i the dreamscape is like i almost like a part of me wants us to understand it better but a part of me also wishes that we never do because Mm. there's like a mysticism to it yeah there really is and it's and it's a nice space like i've i've tried to dabble a little bit in like lucid dreaming of sorts and if you get any control over your dreams, it is so much fun. It is so yeah, I've managed so to much do it a couple fun. times. Yeah, me if too. I'm having a dream that I don't like, I can almost always get to the point where I realize it's a dream. And yeah. then if I don't wake up from there, then I can control yes, it. Yes, I'm the same way. If I start realizing, I'm like, oh, I don't recognize this person, but they sound familiar. And then I like start cluing in. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. this isn't real. Okay, let's have some fun. And then I start yeah. going really crazy in the dream, or like I've literally jumped from one dream to another. I've been like, eh, I don't really like this setting. I'm gonna go somewhere else, and like <laughs> I just the swap, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is cool. All right, like, have you seen Demon Slayer? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Oh, um, really? My boyfriend as an anime fan, it. that's surprising because it's a really popular anime. One Piece is a lot, dude. I mean, yeah. One Piece. Okay, I was watching One Piece. Uh, I was watching Parasite: The Maxim for the fourth Ooh. time because I love that anime. It's Parasite's really good. Really good. Um, and I was also watching a really old uh, anime called Wolf's Rain. Which a lot of people probably don't remember or don't know. It it I think I watched that when I was like fifteen. Yeah, it's it's old and but its opener is so good. It's got such weird lore behind it, but I, I was really I've been really into it. I've got two OVAs left of the story. I, I wanna see if there's a manga of it, honestly, because I feel like that show did not uh get the airtime it should have like I love there's so many questions left unanswered. You get to the end of one season that was produced and there's you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going to happen. There's so much left. It's like they just ran out of There's money and so stopped producing There's so many shows it. like that, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And, like, even Netflix is a horrible offender of this. They'll oh, release, yeah. like, a season of something, end it on a cliffhanger, yep. tell everyone there's going to be a second season, and then three months later, cancel it. Yep. Uh, there, There's one. I don't think it's from Netflix, but it was on Crunchyroll. It's uh, called Miruku-chan. And um, she's a girl that sees ghosts. And the storyline okay. is basically her trying to at first ignore them and then learning how to make peace with the fact that she sees them and can't ignore them. And then she starts actually kind of helping them by accident. Okay. She she just does a few things, like right. nice things. And she sees that these like malevolent spirits are actually just misunderstood and upset that nobody understands them. And it's like such a good... It's it sounds such a heartwarming, cool, yeah. It's heartwarming, but then there's also like a horror aspect because the monsters are really freaky when you first see them you're like oh i mean my that's God, what makes it a know? good social commentary <laughs> yeah yeah it's really good and like it was made years ago and i don't know if there's ever going to be another season apparently there's mangas but i'm like man this is better like horror like, is better as uh, like an anime thing unless oh, it's junji yeah. ito in that case the books are better <laughs> they're way better <laughs> have you seen no game no life 
I haven't yet. I haven't that's yet. That's one that like the first season was rated so highly that the studio that did it doesn't want to do the second season and they can't find a studio that will pick it up because no one wants to like fuck up the second season. That's amazing. So like respect, but also like, but also, man, like, I want <laughs> I more. want second season. Oh, dude. Yeah, there's a lot of animes like that. I've watched quite a few one-offs too that I've been like, man, I wish there was more of this. Like, oh, I'm trying to think. I rem- Well, Elfin, Elfin Lied was kind of one that I was really into when it first, well, I wasn't around when it, first came out. I didn't see it when it first came out. But, yeah, because it was um, released in early 90s or late 80s or something, wasn't it? Was it? Maybe I watched, like, a revamped version. I think the one that I watched was from, like, the 2000s when I saw it. I mean, it might have been a remake, but I remember, yeah, I was I was really into that one, and I wish there was more to the story, Maybe but they also kind of wrapped it up nicely, so I wasn't too mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many out there. So many, so many animes. Well, and especially, like, they put out more, like... What is it like something like 30 anime a season usually come out on Crunchyroll alone and like Crunchyroll doesn't have all of the anime that come out to think of how many more there probably is in Japan that we don't get over here. Oh, yeah. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. It would be hard to keep up to date on all of them. Definitely. Oh, it's true. Um, The the reason that I brought up Demon Slayer is uh, kind of on the topic of the dream thing. There's an episode, one of the demons that they fight, his whole thing is that he puts people to sleep and then Mm. he can like give them whatever kind of dream to like keep them in the dream. Interesting. Uh, And while he's fighting the main character, he's putting the main character to sleep, but eventually the main character realizes that if he kills himself in the dream, it'll wake him up. Uh, oh. But then part of the cycle is, like, the demon puts him to sleep so many times, he gets into this cycle of just, like, immediately, as soon as he falls asleep, kills himself in the dream. But then he gets to a point where he doesn't, like, he's not sure it's if it's reality or if he's back in a dream. So that kind of, yeah, that put that on my mind. Um Dude. Luckily, he had friends to save his life because everyone needs friends. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that crazy, like... Being able to realize it's a dream eventually will stop working if you go into that deep of a dreamscape, which is another cool thing about yep. dreams. It's kind yep. of like Inception, right? Like, I had this experience a few weeks ago that was kind of really weird where I uh, I woke up, or I, I was like in a dream, I thought I woke up, but I was super unsettled by the dream, and I was like, oh, I just like, okay, I just need like a moment, I'll turn on my light, and then I'll wake up and I'll be fine. Right. And I reach over and I press the light button and my light doesn't turn on. And I'm like, fuck, I'm still in the dream. <gasps> no and way. Then, but I'm like sleep paralyzed and I can feel myself tucked there. And oh. I actually went through this cycle like three or four times where I'm like, just move your arm, move your arm, move your arm, press the button. Nothing happens. Fuck, I'm still in the dream. Dude. Like, that was kind of scary. <laughs> I my That happened to my boyfriend uh, like three years ago during COVID. He went through like 18 iterations of that and I remember him like tossing and turning and I woke up and I was like I think I need to wake him up from this because like a lot of times you're not I mean it's not recommended you necessarily wake someone up mid terror because it could just like disorient them really bad it's not that they, it's like bad for their psyche but it's just like being really, really stuck disorienting, in that loop is you know? disorienting already though <laughs> yeah and i was like okay well he's he's like really struggling i'm gonna wake him up so i went to wake him up and he like looked at me and then he was like is this real life and i'm like what and he's like is this real life am i back i'm like what are you talking about dude <laughs> 
Like, I think you just had a nightmare. He's like, I kept having nightmares. Like, it was just every single time he would wake up in the bed in the same place that he was in, in the same room, but then something would slowly start to fall apart. Like, the walls would start to melt, and then my face would melt. Or, like, it was, like, a ton of that. Bad trip, bad trip. (laughs) Yeah, and he kept waking up and waking up in the dreams thinking he was done, and he wasn't. So when he actually finally hit reality, he was, like, having a panic attack. And I'm like, dude, it's okay. Like, we're this... I don't know. Maybe we're in a simulation, but like, I mean, I definitely we're, we're think okay. we are in a simulation to some degree, at least. Okay, follow me on this a little bit. <laughs> okay. So, think about the Big Bang, and mm-hmm. um, I should probably wrap this up after the story because we're getting close <laughs> to the end of our time. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, but so think about the Big Bang okay. and how, if this was the predominant theory for how everything started. There was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was everything, Mm -hmm. right? How is that dissimilar from a computer turning on? So if the universe, like, following that logic, if the universe was just, like, starting its first boot phase, like, turning on a computer, like, that would make the universe a natural simulator or a natural computer of some sort, which means that almost sort of by definition reality has to be a simulation not because of the definition of um simulation but because of like i guess when you apply the definitions in the opposite way you kind of work backwards from one to the other i guess is what i'm getting at does that make sense yeah sort of fucked up the way that i was explaining no i i I think i see your vision and i'm not gonna lie the amount of existential fear i just felt (laughs) (laughs) when you said that I I listen to in addition to the horror podcast I listen to I also listen to a philosophy podcast uh, and every time I'm listening to it, I just constantly am contemplating life. And that has now given me a new thing to think about for the next week. Can you and please try to... send me that philosophy podcast? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually, um, he's a psychologist at the University of Toronto. His name is John Ger- John Verveik. And he talks about what, what I've been listening to is his... Uh, meaning crisis podcast where he talks about yeah he's talking about the uh the like society's absence of meaning and how that impacts us and how we can re-bring meaning into our lives um but he talks about it from like a really interesting deeply philosophical perspective and he goes into history like a lot he talks about all kinds of really really cool stuff it's it's very mind-bending you sit there and you're like i can feel my brain expanding. All right. I can't wait so, to have my mind yeah. bended. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you. He's, he's amazingly talented. Thank you. <laughs> uh, on that note, I give a shout out to anything that you want to promote, uh, oh your socials God. if you want, uh, and that will be the end of our show. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much for having me. I don't know if anyone uh, wants to see me play video games. I play uh, on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays on Twitch at uh, Phoenix Plays with two X's. Um, but aside from that, I'm just happy to be here. This is fun. This is a new experience. I've never done this before. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. Check out Tayana's stream linked below and leave a comment to get involved. Please hit all those buttons that help us grow. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this session of Shivani Nall's single, Bumblebee.
Everybody's out today Everybody's out to play Dressed in universal laws Sunshine, sunshine today Sunshine, sunshine today